Since 1991, Caballero Pools and Spas has been dedicated to creating an outdoor living space that will provide endless hours of fun and entertainment for your entire family. They specialize in offering excellent service and delivering top quality craftsmanship at a reasonable price. They will transform your yard into something unique and distinctive, a customized masterpiece that reflects your individual preferences. Their experience will ensure that your new backyard is something you will be proud of for years to come. Whether it's a minor project or a large master plan, Caballero Pools and Spas will help you get there. Check them out at cabpools.com or reach them at mark at cabpools.com or call 714-309-2890. Getting a new vehicle can be stressful, but not at Lake Elsinore Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram. That's where surfers go inland to purchase their new and used vehicles. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Neon Wave. Neon Wave is an internationally local shop, a concierge to the modern nomad. They bring together carefully chosen surf, fashion, art, and snowboarding gear with a curatorial eye that's drawn to the best of the best, technicality, creativity, and sustainability. Their team is born from nature, raised by the wave, and nurtured by the culture they support. This is Neon Wave. We look forward to moving forward. Check them out at thisisneonwave.com. Earth Pack, customized eco-friendly retail and e-com packaging since 1989. In a time of increasing environmental awareness, Earth Pack is an advanced supplier of affordable recycled packaging for businesses of all sizes. Earthpack provides custom products and services and continues promoting sustainability while fulfilling the individual packaging needs of eco-friendly retailers nationwide. Check them out at earthpack.com. Just live. We believe a life is meant to be lived to its fullest potential. In order to do that, you need to feel at your best, both physically and mentally. We founded this community to share what we found as professional athletes that can help people of all walks of life. So, you can go out and do exactly what you're supposed to do. Just live. Friends and family, brothers and sisters, welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. Our guest this week, entrepreneur with a creative mind, one hell of a creative mind over here. Dude. And he's also an industry powerhouse with over 20 years of experience. His resume includes VP of Operations at Paul Frank, President, and then again, Global General Manager at Ruka, a couple different times there. SVP, Senior Vice President of Marketing and Product Development at Igloo, and is currently the Global GM at Quicksilver. But his talents don't stop there. He also co-founded and sold two companies. Supreme, which made Rascal Helmets and some other cool products. Those are kids' helmets, which was acquired by BRG Sports, which is Bell, the biggest freaking helmet company in the world. Woo! And then started another company, Land and Sea Recreation, which produced stuff, <laughs> which was environmentally sensible coolers that was acquired by Igloo, another freaking powerhouse. He's held various roles and positions in business, which made, it, which made him invaluable. And we know he definitely has a few new business ideas cooking in that creative brain over there. And we're stoked to hear his story. We welcome our friend, Brad Briz <laughs> Blankenship. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I'm Briz. Stoked, stoked to be here. Briz. <clears throat> Briz. 
as you were going down the long list of accomplishments yeah and earlier we we're talking about like who the fuck is Brad Blankenship? <laughs> who the fuck is why why are you guys gonna interview this guy? No one's even heard of Brad Blankenship. I have. And I grew up with this whole over here. Yeah. Which is really <laughs> freaking amazingly interesting that yeah. you know, somebody like Brad, who is one of the Huntington Beach locals. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. But dude, president is it president of Quicksilver? I'm technically the the global general manager is the title they call they they call my role, but yeah, it's basically a president president yeah. job. Yeah. <clears throat> well, well, we well, talked. Thanks for being here, Mr. President. <laughs> no, yeah, but, but before we get into it, for sure, we talk about like the, the surf talent and how richly cultured like Huntington is, and how yeah. many great surfers it produced. But on the flip side, like how many business entrepreneurs, and, entrepreneurs yeah. and and people that have grown up here. One, yeah, because it's in the you know the ground zero and the mecca of yeah. like the industry, but uh, so many successful. We're, we're lucky that, businessmen that come out here. Yeah, we're lucky that we get to sit down with people like you and and you guys kind of tell us how it's done. You know, like how you did it, and hopefully this inspires the kids of the future. Because, dude, yeah. I mean the the okay, let's just get into it. <laughs> well, we know you're HB Loke. Yeah, born and raised here in HB. Been in HB pretty much all my life. Had maybe a six-month stint in Costa Mesa, but found my way back here. Um, six months? Not, not, not long, not long. So, you know, went to went to Dwyer and to Huntington High and um, always, always surfed. Would say, you know, was never a good surfer and had a lot of good surfers around me. But, yeah, to your point, I think, you know, Huntington Beach or Orange County just – you know, fosters a, a, a ton of creative people and, you know, a, a lot of amazing brands have come come out of here. And I think it's just a really inspiring environment to be in, you know. So, yeah, yeah. I've always loved Huntington Beach and loved being around this area. Who, who uh, how did you find surfing? <clears throat> who? I think I, I don't know how I remember kind of the first um, cover of a magazine was the one with Martin Potter doing an air on the on the board that had the same graphic and oh, they're yeah. just kind of like whoa this is cool so you know i started surfing kind of like in fourth grade and um you know i went to newland school the guy at my school who was the incredible surfer we could talk the entire podcast about was cc you know, so <laughs> cc and i were friends and you know he he surfed in my division even though he's probably five years older than me <laughs> but um you know so then we heard about that yeah i went to dwyer and just you know hung hung out with all kinds of guys that, that were incredible surfers you know i was really good friends with barry and jeff deffenbaugh and um still today good friends with those guys friends with like jason russo and you know i think like uh, you know all those guys are so 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 much better than me but um was lucky to just hang out with like a, a lot of uh, amazing surfers that you know helped helped me you know surf every day even though i was you know a chubby nerdy kid from a little bit more inland you know yeah. in huntington those, those guys were always cool to me and took me under their wings so yeah i just you know always loved surfing from the kind of day i started it do, do your parents still on the house my parents <clears throat> my parents still live in the house i grew up in a lot of people have had one of my parents as their principals my mom was a principal at a Newland School and then Talbert School. My dad was a vice principal at Edison. So oh, wow. a lot of people in this area 
know my mom or dad because you know they were principals so yeah. i think that was good and bad for me you know i i couldn't get there's not too many blanket shifts but oh we know a couple of important yeah, ones yeah, yeah. <laughs> they run the school system <laughs> i couldn't get away with much you know like i i was not a good student and with two principals how could you get away with anything if i you know I yeah, get, you have siblings i have a, a older sister who you know oddly she's a principal too so <laughs> You know, what I'm, happened to you, dude? I, I was, Thank God. <laughs> I was going down that path and thought, like, you know, that's what I wanted to do. Maybe, you know, um, shape surfboards in the summer and then teach and, um, you know, just stumbled across something else and just um, didn't do it. But I went to school and uh, did my student teaching and, and thought I was going to go down that route and then just made a pivot because I stumbled into something else. Yeah. Well, going back to you at Dwyer... What, do you remember the boards you were writing and what wetsuits you were wearing? Like, yeah, I think, you know, the, I all I had a lot of uh, boards from Asaku, like yeah, A39s nice. in, in junior high and in high school. Um, got a lot of hand-me-down hand boards from uh, from CC, which was which was kind of cool. Bought some boards from Ryan Keenan, too. Ryan nice. was a, a bigger guy, and, you know, I'd always hit him up if he had boards. But, no, I think through, through all junior high and high school, I wrote either – Classics, if you guys remember yeah, those, yeah. and uh, and eight thirty nine. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah, you're good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're both old. Women. Yeah, but there was, I mean, a ton of incredible shapers in this area and stuff. I rode Osaku's for quite a few years, and yeah. man, is CC was a, a big Osaku uh, team rider for a while there yeah. too. Yeah, I, you know, I grew up off of if you know Huntington, I grew up off of like. Newland and Adams, so I hung out at the surf, you know, which the was... The surf, too? Yeah, I was there all the... Like, that was my after-school hangout, was going to the surf, so, you know, there's a lot of good guys, like, think, like, Tim Brandon and the Voorhees brothers, and, you know, just, they, they all... There's always good kids coming through that shop, so, you know, just got got some boards from there and stuff, but I, I would say I was more, more of, like, a, the surf kid than I was a downtown Huntington kid, yeah. if that makes sense, you know? yeah. It's funny, we, you know, D-Bob brought up the surf and how much of an impact that that the keto had in the community with the, you know, local Grom, but also the importance of uh, his role in Tom Kern's yeah. life, too. The it's, mentorship and then, like, the, you know, Japanese are always just so forward-thinking. He had probably the state-of-the-art camera. He knew. He was, yeah, a little... It's so funny. Yeah, I've got lots of good keto stories, but I'll, I'll give you one. Like, you know, I always heard that keto had a ton of boards that he just put in a container somewhere. And so I always bugged his wife, Amy, and just say, hey, I know keto's got those boards. If you ever want to sell them, like, I'd love to, and you know, see what he's got. And one day, out of the blue persistence, she called me and said, hey, we, we want to sell off these boards. So meet me here and... Um, Man, I got some good boards and really? a couple, couple of current style. I got two two of Tom's personal boards. One hangs in my living room. And wow! He, I met him later, and he signed it and told me the story of of that board. And it buckled, and he just kind of left it. He left it in Hawaii, and Keto brought it back. So um, I've always tried to you know stay friendly with Keto, just yeah. if I run into him or yeah. what. But you know, just a guy like HB Legend Keto. <laughs> Keto's the yeah. guy. You yeah. Know? Tom Kern stayed at his house, and you know I think he was a huge part of like Barry and Jeff's success, yeah, helping, helping sure. those guys out. So yeah, he's he's a cool guy. I gotta make fun of uh, Jlar, but so Amy works at Three Monkeys, yeah, sushi bar over here. Yeah, right? 
And the day after we interviewed Deba, it was fresh in my mind. And she happened to be working the day, the day after. And I was telling her, hey, we really want to interview, you know, you and, and Keto, you know, and talk about the surf because you guys have come up in a bunch of different podcasts and we'd love to have you guys on. And I go, yeah, Jay Larson used to ride for you guys. And she's like, no, he didn't. <laughs> she goes she goes it was uh it was like it was too late for him to get on and i was like what and, I, and she's like yeah i go he didn't ride for you and she's like i don't think so really i got a board to prove it i can't get lambs without being a team rider it's not a sticker no i, I remember jay with the surf yeah i go for for them in timponi for i don't know it was like a year or two. Yeah, Tim, yeah. Tim Pony gave Jeff a car that was, we called it the La Bamba car. Oh, I remember yeah, that. It was, it was pretty Tim good. Tim Pony gave yeah. Diva a car? When yeah. when Jeff, moved, or when <clears throat> Tim Pony moved to Maui, he gave his car to Jeff, and it was like this huge, like, two-door sedan, but so long, and you yeah. could put your boards in the trunk. Yeah. It was that big, which was pretty, pretty funny. Good times. So, did you try to be in like contests with the boys or? Oh yeah, but kinda... I I was in contests all the time, and you know I was in the novice novice division, and just was just never that good. Like yeah. I, I love I loved it, and I think maybe the last contest I did, um, Naya Post beat me, and I said you know <laughs> maybe maybe I'll start doing some graphic design. She beat a lot of dudes. Yeah, she, she yeah. ripped. She would she did she did rip, sure. but you know I. I uh, Andy Verdone, when you know I've gone and talked to the surf class a couple times, and both times he introduced me as like, "Hey, Brad's a guy that knew when to put the surfboard in the rafters," and so you know, and, and so I yeah, I I did some contests and you know maybe got a sixth place in, in an office division here and there, but that that was about the extent of it. Yeah. So you so. knew that a professional career in surfing wasn't. Oh, for sure, no. Yeah. Like I, you know, and it's funny now, like. What I do at Quicksilver, it's incredible. And the amount of, like, parents that want to get their kids sponsored and, you yes. know, like, you just, you know, you just, you know, if, I mean, man, if you're, if you're not already getting boards by the time you're in seventh grade, it's, yeah. you know, like, you gotta, you gotta be real about. Yeah. And, There's and only it, a handful of guys that if you're past the age of 13 and you're not, like, totally yeah. ripping, yeah, it's too late. Yeah, I remember. I remember, like to this day, the first day I saw Jay surfing the pier, and it it blew me away. Like I, we were on. Hear that? Yeah, it did. It was you were young, but it was it was. Uh, I remember there was some swell, and it was on north side, and I saw Jay catch the sway, and I'm like, oh my god, who's who's this guy now? Like I've already got it tough enough. I'm like got CC and Barry and Jeff. Yeah. Jason Russo was incredible in this day in his day, and. Guys like, you know, Kurt and Lloyd Tyus and then yeah. Jay coming up. I'm just like, yeah, I, I think maybe I should get a video camera or something. Yeah. <laughs> you were three grades older. When did you graduate? I was a senior when you were a freshman. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like, but Barry. Yeah. Yeah. So, yep. trying to remember because it was like, back then it was like, we all hung out, but I, I don't, you know, I don't remember what grades everybody was in. Yeah. You know? Didn't really matter back then, but. Yeah. yeah. So, as you're. In high school, and your parents are principals. That that was the path you were going. You were gonna maybe be a, become a school teacher. I'd say you know I, I was really a terrible student and like so bad that like you know I sometimes I wouldn't even check books out or didn't have a locker in high school. They never did homework. I was really really a, just awful in school. And um, so 
you know, after graduating high school, I went to OCC. And I tell people, like, sometimes people just click at a different age. You know, sometimes, yeah. like, my son, I'm so lucky, you know, he's getting honor roll and he just he reads and loves doing homework. For me, I remember, like, my third week at OCC, just all of a sudden thinking, like, oh, man, like, I, I need to get my shit together because this is not... Only take the college. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this isn't good. You know like, why? Because you're paying for it. You're paying for these classes. <laughs> you have more value. You have more better things to do than to sit in this class. You might as well. City college is pretty cheap, though, right? Yeah, I think yeah, it was cheap. But it's your money. It's not. Yeah. It's not going to high school. For me, it was just like a, it just clicked, and I thought like, man, I, I have to figure out something because yeah, that this is I, I put myself in a bad situation. Yeah. Like I'm struggling in in junior college, and you know my friends are going on doing well, bigger was, things. Going you know? back, what was your first uh, job? Yeah. Wow, yeah, I I have had so many interesting jobs, but and this is really weird. But my first job, I worked at the police station, oh, and shit. Um, they, you know, what what age? Young, like sixteen years old. This is incredible. Like, but I police <laughs> so, station on Maine. Or yeah, on like Maine. This, this is incredible. Like, it, I'll say this: people wouldn't even believe that they allowed me to do this. But I washed the cars, but I didn't physically wash the cars. You drove I them. drove them to at 16 washes. years old to the to the car wash, got them washed, came back, put new flares in the cars, whatever. I remember the only time I ever took advantage, I was uh, following cabbage, you know, cabbage. And, yeah. and I'm just like, oh, this is too good. And Turn we laid on the horn, and he was so scared, he pulled over and drove by him. But... That was my first job. Buy with the middle figure. Totally, yeah. I, was, I still and he was all, cabbage was small, so like he looked like just a, a thirteen year old kid driving the car, anyways. But then you know I worked for the city for a so while. Wait, how did you? How did you get that job? Oh, I, you know I, that sounds like a kind of like a I a I vaguely remember like you driving the cars. But I do remember you running the city gym because we used to, that was our boys club. That was yeah, our that, the city gym came next. You know, I, I was doing, the, I did the. Um, well, tell us how you got that cop job first. I, I, just, I heard about it. My mom, you know, being in education, she helped a lot of things with the city. She told me they had this program for kids that wanted to later be police officers, whatever. And I'm like, wow, that sounds kind of cool. You know, I'll go do that. What, when I quit is. You do this kind of student worker plan, and then they put you in as a cadet. And the cadets, like, you go on ride-alongs. And I remember, like, going on a ride-along, and, it you know, we went to break up a party. And I'm like, oh, I'm out. Like, I'm, I was, yeah, I'm not. And I'm I literally, like, in a cop car. In a cop car in Huntington. You like, nerd. Fifth, fifth and orange. Yeah. Fucking dark. Totally. <laughs> Get a tissue, nerd. <laughs> no, no, totally. And I'm like, I'm out. I'm not doing <laughs> this. And that's when I went and worked at the city gym. And the city gym was a good run. That if you're good. like a single kid with a key to the city gym, like there's a lot of benefits that came yeah. with having a key to that gym for 10 years. That's pretty good. I mean, know? the location, it was right at our junior high, high school area. Pool. Everyone yeah. went there. That was our clubhouse as yeah. a kid. I mean, pool, full basketball court, ping pong, table. ping pong, foosball, like three pool tables. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a spot. It was, I mean, the greatest job ever for someone going through college. Well, it was what just you, incredible. What were your duties there? I mean, you're basically like signing up people for um, activities like swim lessons or volleyball or whatever. But you're kind of just hanging. You just know, hanging. like I joke and say, well, I'm a professional ping pong player because you're playing ping pong the whole time yeah. or 
doing homework or like I said, you know, I had the keys. So a lot of times like I would call guys and play basketball after Huntington, some incredible basketball players. Like we'd play, man, for there's like this five year stretch where like me, Casey, we Sam August, um, Byron, like we had such a good crew of dudes in there every night playing basketball. Oh, and some guys that really like were incredible basketball. Like Kate, Casey amongst being good at a lot of stuff. Casey was a, Great basketball. solid basketball player, yeah. but yeah, we had strong noodling totally. Yeah, yeah. So we had, we had good time and having that Kevin Garnett. Yeah. But it, the, the, no, the pickup games were like you would have to, you know, have a team, you challenge teams. Like it was a full busy court where yeah. you know you had to show up, and if you couldn't beat the team holding court, then you're back out and going in rotation, or lucky enough to jump in. Yeah, yeah you have to go, go back to the foosball table if you couldn't, <laughs> couldn't hang. So yeah, I played a ton of basketball with those guys. So. It was Spe- a fun job, super Speaking fun job. Speaking of city gym, does I wonder if people kids still go to that? I hope so. I mean, because what a what an incredible like place. Yeah, you know that is promotes yeah. exercise and all that. Well, before, yeah, a gathering place for for free. And it, it was a you know K through eighth was the city gym leagues and you know. There would be a basketball season and there would be a flag football before Friday Night Lights and before it got like kind of what it is today. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, you go sign up for basketball. I have, yeah. you know, every every year, you know, it would be you, uh, two, two grade combinations. Yeah. You know, and it was fun. I, I remember going there and swimming and playing ping pong with you probably. Probably. Right? And it was like, wow, this place is cool. Yeah. Like. Yeah, there's all always rumors about there being a tunnel from Dwyer to the city gym. There's not. We try to find it, but you can actually. Un, this is really walk weird. around the pool underneath. Yeah, yeah underneath underneath the pool, you can you walk, walk all around. around. It's pretty no pretty way. crazy. Yeah, yeah. Huh. and the gym there, I think in the old, old days, like that gym is on springs. You know, so hmm. it has some kind of bounce to it. So it it actually is pretty good. Like yeah. it doesn't give you shin splints, and yeah, yeah it's a really cool facility. So, yeah, so. You graduate high school, you're going to OCC, and your mindset is to become a teacher. Yeah, I thought like, well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna learn how to shape surfboards and be a teacher, and and that that was kind of my game plan. Like that, I thought, well, yeah, that that it's could a be kind a good of cool life. game plan. Yeah, like what like got you into shaping? You're just fascinated on like. You know, did you go into the shaping bays with Asaku or anybody else? And all like, the all the time, and you know, hung out with Mark Nakashima, and just yeah. kind of was the kid that like lurked around the glass shop and all that. So where where this is weird, but uh, Judah Mailer, like yeah. we yeah. stole all the wood from construction sites and everything, and built a shaping room in his garage and shaped a few boards out of there with Judah and got really really kind of into it and my. You know, again, I was. I thought you had one at your house. I did. Yeah. So I was a terrible, terrible student, like I said. And my my dad said, "Hey, look, you know what? If you want to do this, in, we'll help you make a shaping room in our garage. And you know, he's like, we'll do it completely legit if you stay in stay in college and keep. You know, let me help you with this, which was really cool. My dad, like now, my dad is in his eighties. So I'm lucky. I have awesome parents. But my dad always said, hey, my agenda in doing, making that shaping room was to keep an eye on you, you know, like to keep you here. I knew yeah. you and your friends would be here messing with surfboards and stuff. So, you know, in the shaping room, it's still there. Like, you no know, way. How yeah. Bad. I remember. You had sent me pictures of that. He shaped, you shaped me a board. And I remember, Shut going, up. yeah, I remember going and picking it up and I'm like, 
Yeah, he had a full shaping bay. Did you have a name for it? Yeah, I just it was my last name, Blankenship Surfboards. But you know, I, I shaped for a handful of good guys. Like um, I shaped for uh, a few boards for Brett Schwartz. I shaped a couple boards for Barry. I I'll take credit for getting Barry into shaping because he came oh. over and in, in, in hung out in my room. I was devastated. I made Jay a board when you're a kid, like working on the city gym salary. I think I was making like five seventy five an hour. So I, you know, if I gave a guy a board. Like, that was my money, yeah. you know? Like, so I gave Jay a board, and he wrote it, and I, I kept wanting to get feedback, and I, I asked Jay, like, how'd it go? How'd it go? Like, so exciting. And he goes, yeah, it didn't really work that good. I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, just so yeah, bummed. And, and it's hard because you truly do <laughs> want You truly do want Like, you'd be stoked if you got a good board, you know? And yeah. It, you know, it wasn't like... Oh, killer freaking piece! Like I wasn't expecting it to be bad. I just was hoping it was going to be good. But. Nah, it's cool. It, it, yeah. It's cool though. Like I think you know, for that's a good was a great experience. I got to shape you know a handful of boards for good guys. I'd say, you know, I'm a terrible shaper. What I, what I liked about making surfboards was the marketing side of it and like, like creating work, a brand, totally. like a logo. Yeah, and, making T-shirts. I had yeah. probably more fun trying to make my own T-shirts and hats and things like that. You know, I, at some point. I leaned a ton on like Barry Vandermeulen and Jensen. Like yeah. Yeah. those guys, really, like I'd mess up an outline or something and go walk over to Jensen and go, man, could you please, could you please bail me out on this? I think I just screwed up this blank. So Jensen and Barry Vandermeulen were always like really yeah. good guys and kind to me and would help me. But, you know, I, I think what I, what I liked about making surplus was really just understanding the industry and marketing, you yeah. know, and that, that really was cool. How freaking What random. a trip. Yeah. I had more fun making t-shirts and graphics, which is, I mean, yeah, you're built, you're brand building it back then. Yeah. But at the same time you're having fun, you're just getting the, you know, totally, you know, or just, I think, I don't know, get seeing some, still this day, if I see someone like, you know, even a Ruka shirt like I go oh wow I had something to do with that like it's 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 just cool having a brand out there that and you see it and you're like oh I'm involved in that you know yeah. I was involved in doing that yeah. so that part really I enjoyed so how long did you shape for I shaped on and off for years like I want to say I still do occasionally but uh, not really like now if I do a board I'll get a blank that's been shaped off the machine but I really like dig it I think a lot about you know what I'll what I'll do later in life that's what I that if I could do anything, that's what I'd do. It's just funny. hang out and make surfboards in my garage would be really fun. But yeah, I found I found out at some point like, man, I'm not really good at this. <laughs> you know, I, I'm good at the marketing side. Maybe I could do something because you know I had all kinds of like you know even though I was a shitty shaper to be honest, like I convinced good guys to try the boards. Like Jay tried one. I had yeah. Barry trying them. I had like um, uh, did CC read one. Yeah, a little bit. Justin Harcharek, like if you remember. And yeah. So I, I had a handful of good guys that were trying them. So, you know, I I did boards on and off here and there for, for, a, for a while, you know, years. So after <clears throat> City Gym and, and going to college, what, what was... Uh... What was your next career step? Yeah, so, you know, I, I man, I knew um, Paul Frank and the owner, the guys that were starting Paul Frank. And I knew Paul of this, like, just interesting dude. If you Do you guys remember, you remember I, Amy's Bakery? Yeah. Like, now where Java Point is? Yeah. So Paul worked at the newsstand <clears throat> next to Amy's Bakery. 
And he was just this interesting dude and that played the guitar and kind of weird, but I was always drawn to the guy. Like, there's something cool about this dude, yeah. you know? And so he was making wallets and, and um, things for his friends out of like scrap Nagaheim material. And um, Ryan Hauser had worked at Mosmo and we were buddies at the time. And Ryan and him started getting this little company started in, in the garage. And I always was hanging out at that house where Paul was like sewing in the garage. And it's interesting. I, I remember I, I was interviewing for jobs and because I worked at the city, I applied for this job with the city of Beverly Hills. And um, these city jobs are crazy. Like, you know, the, no kidding, like 500 people applied for this job and they called me and I was helping Paul and he was paying, Paul and Ryan were paying me like nothing, you know, like, and they, what were you doing like for them? A little of everything, like boxing orders, running errands to the vendors that were making it. You know, like it was early days. Like we didn't have email at the time. Like you'd get an order off a fax machine. Like, so, you know, I applied for this job. There's like 500 people and I got the job and uh, for the city of Beverly Hills. And I remember like I went over and talked to my dad. I'm like, God, you know, I got, I got this job. It was $60,000 was the salary. And at that time, big. Yeah, at that time, this is like... But did you know the commute to Beverly Hills every day? No, I would have... I was, up there. I was like going to move up there the wow. whole deal, you know, and just like, oh my God, this is great. I got this job. Is that, were you graduated already from <laughs> yeah, college? Yeah, I, I, I ended up graduating from Cal State Fullerton. It took me a while. When, again, not being a good student. It's three, three years at OCC, a couple years at Cal State Fullerton, got my degree, and then, you know, started applying for city jobs and student teaching and stuff was, you know, still making boards and just tinkering. So and I was helping Paul and, and Ryan do these bags and stuff. So I remember I got this Can job stop offer. Quick, sure. And kind of, because Paul Frank has been out of yeah. the picture for a while, but Paul Frank was like a multi-million dollar business. It, it became, yeah. it, it started from like, you know, like you already said it, like, Little leather pouches and fucking well, purses. Uh, t- again, another guy, not a surfer, but another guy that came out of Huntington that started a company that, yeah, was yeah. north of 40 million revenue. And really, really, I mean, for a minute there, pop, Paul was like a pop culture yeah. icon. You know, yeah. was he was like deal. mid-century modern of the of the present time. Yeah. And, I mean, catchy logo yeah. with a monkey and... Julius, right? Julius. Yeah, yeah, Julius. And I still talk to Paul all the time, but... But they were starting up and you're kind of just doing audience help there. You I, I think up. HSS was one of the first people to carry... HSS carried it. Yeah. So I didn't take... Long story short, I didn't take that job with the city. Talked to my dad. I'm like, you know, there's just something special about this Paul Frank brand. And you know what? I like the idea of making things and, you know, like this is really... And my dad... It's like, hey, if you want to move back in, like, and take your chances on this job and see, like, he's all, we will support you. Do what you want to do. Like, dude, if that if that's something you would, you would want to do. So, <laughs> no kidding, guys. I moved back in with my mom and dad, sold my car because it was literally like, I was literally like when I started at Paul Frank making six bucks an hour. So, sold my car, moved back in. John and Ryan, the two other owners, let me drive the, the company van like I literally drove the van it was humbling because all my other friends have apartments they got girls coming over You're and everything yeah, yeah. And I'm like living with my mom and dad but oh my god it was such a smart decision and one thing I tell kids now is like hey if you have if you have a chance coming out of college go to the small company and don't go work in a cubicle in some giant company where the yeah. owners don't even know your name because 
what I learned at Paul Frank, you know, was invaluable in that I learned a little of everything, you know, because there was only a few of us there, like Jay Acuna, another Huntington guy, but yeah. it was like me, Jay Acuna, the the owners, and you know, it grew from you know three, four, five of us to over a hundred people, and we actually, you know, when when on the tail end of my stint there, we had the Ruka building, which yeah. is how we ended up getting that for Ruka later. So it was an incredible run, and man, I learned so so yeah. so much because you were at yeah. the very beginning yeah. of, of Paul Frank. Yeah, and for if you if we kind of gave the rundown of Paul Frank, it was like weird monkey, you know, cartoon, but killer like T-shirts, and it became a clothing brand, and you you started making banks <laughs> that had their own stores, like well, it was it was it was it, it was got to like, be gigantic, yeah, but it was. Um, it kind of fell within the kids market, the women's and the men, you know, yeah. as like an accessory brand that was, it played in a lot of different lanes, you know, yeah. and, and I think they had success and a lot of them, it just kept exploding. Like what else can we put this logo and monkey on? And yeah, it went to the thing that there's a ton I learned from the furniture. experience, but one of, one of the big things yeah. about Paul Frank that I still think about a lot today is I call it finding the seams or finding white space opportunity. And Paul Frank, we, we were able to do that because we we're naive. Like you work at a big giant company um, and they'll tell you, oh, I can't do this or I can't do this. Yeah. Or what, what? Don't rely on that. Do you know how much investment in the company and how many people would have to hire to start that division? You know, totally. like it would just go down the route where they just, it would say there's too many no's where totally you guys are like, well, let's give it a shot. So a huge, you know, and there's other brands that have done a ton of it today, but um at the time, like no one, no one sold pajamas in Huntington Surf and Sport, you yeah, know. Yeah. So, I mean, we we sold millions of pairs of pajamas, and it was just again a white space or a seam where no one else was doing it, and we snuck in and did it. And yeah. you know, two years later, everyone was making Roxy and every other brand was yeah. making pajamas. But you know, we had a we had a few categories like that where we just snuck in and did it. The other thing, like people don't remember about Paul Frank is um, we are really early. in collaborations like we did a huge collab with shepherd ferry where that was before obey and you know i think oh, you know he yeah, ended up yeah. saying well maybe i go and start my own company because of this because it was really successful we did collaborations with mark ryden um thomas campbell but then that all went well so we started doing john deere and barbie and all kinds so you know paul frank was a company that was really ahead of its time in doing like out of the box things like yeah um, cross brand collabs yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's crazy because you know that's probably where you accumulated most of your business acumen, right? Yeah, for sure. I think still today, like I laugh about, and a lot of you know, just like Huntington, a lot of really successful people came out of Paul Frank, but everything I still do today is what I learned way back at yeah. Paul Frank. You know what yeah. it's implementing a you know operating system or just how we think about you know dealing with customers it's all stuff that i i learned from that experience yeah. you know? who, who was in the think tank of like coming up with these products and like growing the business with you guys like you so paul was a creative yeah paul was just you know he he the name <laughs> the face the Paul's, paul was an interesting guy he taught himself how to sew he's an incredible guitar player he just made my son a, this most insane guitar strap for Christmas. And, That's you know, so it's a, a guy that could just, and he did it. Um, 
dumpster diving and he went to an auto upholstery place and found like scrap what they call naga hide yeah and so that's how he started just with scrap naga hide making wallets and stuff so paul paul was huge in that there's a guy who's now you know my brother-in-law and we've done a lot of business together named ben soto um and ben was a huge part of it just it's funny like paul met ben because ben was the guy who drew the signboards at Trader Joe's? Wow! And Paul's like, "Oh, whoever's drawing these pictures is <laughs> this is who does the this? Yeah. yeah, that's and, how they met. Yeah, and so that Paul, how funny! Paul had Ben come in. You know, Paul was incredibly talented, but you know he couldn't use a computer. He hand drew stuff with a Xerox machine at the time. So Ben came in and did like things on. Um, Illustrator and could really bring Paul's ideas to life. So that's cool. But there's a handful of guys like. Parker and Tyler Jacobs, those guys did Yo Gabba Gabba. They yeah. were at Paul Frank early on. I no mean, way. Yeah, yeah. The Yo Gabba Gabba guys came from Paul Frank? Yeah, there's a guy, Parker Jacobs. So um, his brother, Christian Jacobs. Worked at Ruka. Yeah, Christian worked at Ruka. Small small world. Yeah. But those guys were all, you know, a big part of Yo Gabba Gabba. Yeah. Christian was actually the, the guy who created, but Parker and Tyler yeah. Jacobs were a big part of it. So, yeah, lot, lots of talented guys. I mean, even down to, like, I don't know if you know the name. There's a, a designer at Paul Frank named Philip Lim who ended up moving on and being kind of a big-time, like, couture designer. Yeah. So there's a, just a ton of really talented people yeah. that came out came out of that. It's got to be, like, so amazing to be on the ground floor when you're working out of a garage, basically, right? And seeing it move into an, a warehouse and then... A bigger warehouse and then you start like you know seeing magazines with with paul frank in it and like all the things that happen when the business grows right that's the coolest i think you know for me i i've done a lot of weird things i've now started companies and sold them and worked at big companies but that that kind of being a part of a company in its infancy and growing with the company to like that 20, 25, 30 million dollar level, almost, it's the best thing ever. And I love to work. Probably <laughs> my wife would say, hey, I don't have balance and I, you know, work way, way too much. I, but I, I love it. I love what I do. And, you know, working like I worked my ass off, but because you like it. Like, yeah. you know, we at Paul Frank and Ruka the first time, like I was there. You know, we'd literally get to a point where you kind of have to encourage people to go home. Yeah. Like, we'd be like, hey, it's 7.30, you know, like, you know, go spend some time with your family. Just because we really, we, it was work, but we just loved what we were doing, yeah. you know? So, yeah. And you get to see, like you said, like all aspects of the business, like, hey, you know, delegating, well, I'm going to, you know, like you're kind of involved in all these different departments. Like you said, if you're going to a big company, you're just kind of pigeonholed into kind of like one portion of yeah. What go, what makes that company go around? Totally, you're just stuck in a cubicle and just where you know if you get involved in companies in their infancy, then you have the opportunity to get your hands on everything. Which, and you, you interned know. probably for like ten different jobs, but totally, you, you yeah. know because you're wearing ten different hats at the beginning. Yeah. So what what was your like expertise and and what what was your role at? At Paul Frank, it was weird because I did a little bit of everything, and you know my my title at the end was vice president of operations. So if you think of operations, it's you know supply chain and shipping the product and um, logistics. <laughs> but 
you know, I, I did a lot, a lot of everything, you know, and like a lot of the collab ideas I came up with or, you know, it was just cool because I got to get my hands on every, every part of the business and learn a ton. So, you know, after that, you know, I, I've never really done like a pure operations job again, um, but I know it, you know, I know the fundamentals of it, which has helped me a ton in my career, yeah. you know, understanding like, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> how do you ship product? How do you do it commercial invoice or whatever it may be? Yeah. You know, I learned that all all at that that first gig. But what's fascinating about like Paul Frank is most brands come out with like, hey, we're going to be uh, we're going to be in this category yeah. or we're going to do this or maybe a play. Like they came out as an accessory brand. Right. And Chachi next thing accessory next, little brand. <laughs> and then yeah. yeah, and the next thing you know, it's like, hey, it's Got to have printable. You got to have apparel to kind of help support and market. Yeah. And then it was like, dude, they're fucking doing pillows. And then they're freaking doing bikes. And then they're doing like, you know, I don't even. Cartoon. Like like furniture and stuff at one point. Yeah. A little of everything. It was, yeah. It's just, and again, because (laughs) looking back, because we're naive and really didn't know, you (laughs) know, like, well, why can't we go do this? You know? So, but. To me, that it was magic. You know, yeah. it was like, man, in trying stuff, we'd have one thing about every year where we'd try something, and you know, most of it, you know, not, luckily hit. Like those pajamas, like who would have known? You know, yeah. like, but you know, there's a lot of stuff along the run that that worked, and a handful of things that certainly didn't work. But what, you know, what I think year? you got to try new stuff. <laughs> Early two thousand, like our ni- late nineties, or yeah, late. I I started there in nineteen ninety eight and was there up until two thousand six or seven. So, like, when you guys say let's start doing pajamas, like, what was, you know, like we all know what the supply chain is and our, you know, what we have to deal with in our businesses now. Like taking a gamble back then, it's like okay, well, you know, what's a minute? You know, were you buying like a thousand? couple thousand getting pre-books because you know starting a new category it's like well how much risk are we going to take oh so different back then because you know we did we still did a lot of domestic production yeah so like those accessories initially there it's i'm smiling because i'm still friends with all these people like we had a a contractor in santa Ana that sewed all the wallets we had um, a lady named karen in santa Ana who helped us do all the pajamas initially so it wasn't like it is today where you're making stuff in Shenzhen, China or India yeah. or whatever, you'd work with a local supplier that they would they would make you two hundred of something. You yeah. know, it wasn't like, oh my God, we gotta buy five thousand units of this. Yeah. So, you know, it started back then with domestic manufacturing and then as we grew we took things overseas where it made sense. But it and, gave you a chance to be a little more nimble and try stuff without taking like huge You know what you know what riffs. part of it did too is like it, it was different back then doing domestic production because you had to learn about actually making a garment. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many people today that they go to fit them and learn how to do Illustrator and then they're sending a tech pack to China. Like we we're making product. We we're taking fabric to the cutter and getting it cut and driving it to a different person to sew it you know like so you're making your own samples pretty much right yeah Yeah. in a sample room in the building which none of that really exists today in action sports specialty apparel anymore but back then it taught you a ton because you just you had to understand like waste like okay well how are we you know how do we cut as many pieces out of this you know fabric and not not waste it so it was it was good because we learned a lot but so so different than today hopefully i think some things will start coming back with covid and you know people understanding like 
gosh, don't have all your eggs in one basket in supply, like yeah. and diversify and have some stuff back here. So you're seeing some of that come back now. But um, yeah, it was so different back then where you just didn't put everything in China. Because I mean, you, like you guys, I mean, the brand was it fucking was on huge. fire. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, and it takes for, a lot, like for again, a non-surf brand. Yeah. In our market, in our in HSS, I mean, it was massive. It was a big. What was crazy is like <laughs> we so we started in a, in a little building in Costa Mesa, and then Volca moved out of the fifteen thirty seven Monrovia building, which today is toes on the nose. Yeah. So Volca moved out of that building into the building they're in now, which was Quicksilver. Yeah. If yeah. you remember. Yeah. So Volca moved down to down the street to the Quicksilver building. We moved in Vol- the Volcom building, but no one, even though we were selling surf and sport and all the action sport apparel accounts, none of those guys saw us as a threat or a yeah. competitor. Like all the reps from Roxy For would sure. come in and hang, and we had friends from Volcom, or, you know, I'd call this lady, Ann Fong, who was an incredible mentor, and she was a controller at Volcom, and she'd answer questions because no, we weren't in surfing, we weren't sponsoring guys, no one really saw us as a threat. And then, boom! All of a sudden, we're forty million revenue. Yeah. But it was it was cool because yeah. you know you didn't. We had like this kind of cool friendship, and ended up pulling a lot of employees in from Quick, a lot of employees in from Volcom. But you know, the slogan of the company was "Paul Frank is your friend," and I yeah. think people just looked at us like, "Oh, these guys are cool. They're you know they're not trying to steal our athletes. You know, it's just kind of cool." Yeah. yeah, it's going you listening to you talk about it and remembering what it was and for the the market it was like totally different totally non-surf but just novelty like one of the first novelty brands to come into our space but it was like a lot but, of different categories but it was suc- successful here but japan and other areas oh, really yeah. embraced it right how long, like, how long do you think it took you guys to get the 40 mil Nine years, yeah. But, you know, it was... <laughs> there. There's all these milestones, and I think, like, every company kind of have has these. I think, you know, the, the first big number was $5 million. Like, going out of the garage, getting a build, building, getting to $5 million revenue. I remember, like, we we never thought we'd ever get to $5 million. Like, we'd talk joking, like, oh, my God, could you imagine if somehow we were able to grow a $5 million brand? And, you know, we flew by that. So... I think there's a lot of brands that get to that $10 million mark and you either, you know, have to make some tough decisions and change the way you're doing things to make that jump to kind of 20, 30 million. Yeah. And a lot of brands don't, you know, a lot of brands kind of hover around that 10 million or less forever. And then there's a handful of these, I'm talking about our industry. Yeah. yeah. Then there's a handful of brands that are able to make the jump, you know? So, yeah. yeah. So. It's a, it's a, you know, we could talk about, that side of the business on the investment side when you get to that that means you're you're more of a national brand and then building out you know displays to get off a fixture you know you want growth you know like there's all of that kind of other cash flow that's needed to get to that that next you guys are privately held for a long time right like you didn't oh back then yeah it was all the owners had 100% of it yeah yeah and so what was the onus of you making a move to what was your next move? Yeah, I think that there there was a point where things weren't working out with the owners, and I think 
Paul had a very different vision of what he wanted to do compared to the other two owners. And um, Paul basically left the company, you know, um, or was asked to leave the company. Well, no, I'd have to go back and remember exactly how that happened. Not on the podcast. But um, so Paul left the company and I started thinking like, oh, no, (laughs) like what, what does this mean for me? And so Massimo came into the company and I kind of had that like, oh, shit moment of like, this is going to look different in the future. And I had a friend named Robbie Kegel who was making surfboards called Cream. Like, and there's just something about this kid. I'm like, man, he's just doing something different. You know, and Alex Nose was writing his boards. And I was just like really um, admired this kid and what he was doing. So I started helping him a lot. And we did, you know, it's weird. We did a couple art shows with boards. And it started kind of one of those immediately going well. And we became... Sure. Is he kind of like... Robbie Kegel is kind of... Was at the forefront of the mid-length slash alternative hipster... I think, yeah. I mean, Hipster style boards? Robbie's just a super interesting guy. And, you know, he... He would he would hate if I said the word retro or you know he's like no what I'm doing is totally progressive and it's about performance like I'm pushing at something different mm-hmm. and that's how he thought of it but he you know he was a incredible surfer and still is and and made longboards so I got involved with Robbie we ended up having to switch the name from Cream to Gato Haroi. <laughs> and in in doing this and who um, came up with Gato Haroi? it was Robbie yeah you know I was on that he was. A creative genius and you know just doing something totally different than anyone else was doing at the time and you know it's, it i got involved and just started kind of gaining momentum and long story short the uh two paul frank owners um let me go you know and for years because, of- because you know i started this side company and you know i think i think it was um you know i i was spending my day daytime at paul frank but you know burning my midnight oil on this thing that i thought passion project yeah i'm gonna try to build this thing and kind of jump into it so you know it's in hindsight there's probably things i would have done different maybe the owners would have looked at it different um i'm still really close friends with paul we talk gosh at least a few times a week and same with john oswald who's owner of the company and still you know john and i are really close um ryan and i don't talk but um you know I was for for years it, it bummed me out and like I had a lot of friends that worked there and lost some friends over it and at the same time now like you tell people like hey you know serendipity or things happen for a reason or you know I wouldn't be where I am today without that happening yeah. you know like I think like man what what if I was there another five years and then what so <clears throat> I was making these boards with Robbie and Pat Pat and I Pat Tenori Pat and I were like. Um, I remember it was weird, but way back when Jay was young, the Echegoyans like had this extra car, and they like had surf prescriptions. And Pat Tenori, I knew as one of the guys that was always part of this Echegoyan crew of oh, yeah. like Jay Lar and uh, Casey Wheat and you know Craigie. Craigie surfed incredible, yeah, so. but Pat kind of was like this interesting guy who I was always like kind of intrigued by this guy for you and I'd go out, I'd ask him to go out to lunch and he's just charismatic and tons of energy but when I was at Paul Frank we we're kind of competitors because we we're down the street from he, each other so Ruka was already out yeah Ruka start at this time Ruka's like 
you know, just on 16th Street, just in this absolute infancy, tiny. And Pat and I would go, like, Pat and I both, like, you know, going and getting uh, shabu-shabu or weird food or whatever. So Pat knew I was doing Gata Roy, and Alex Nos was part of it and all. So, you know, I talked... Can, can I ask you, yeah. um, what did you have planned for Gata Roy? Um, I don't know. You know, I think, like, I, I always thought, like, Robbie was a guy that could be, like, a Sean Stussy. It's funny, like, now I spend a ton of time in France and um, right in Guterie where, like, Sean Stussy lives. That's where Robbie is. So it's weird. Like, wow. there's a lot of, like, similarities between, I think, Robbie and and, um, and Sean Stussy. So, you know, my, my thought was, like, well, we'll do the surfboards and yeah. we're doing a ton of surfboards for Japan. But we'll end up going into apparel and things like that. We yeah. had a... We had a cool store on a cool little store factory on Superior and Costa Mesa. So I think it had all the right ingredients to do something cool. It's still around. And build, build a name and yeah, brand yeah. awareness with boards. Right. But then. Go into tees and apparel and yeah, accessories. Yeah. So, you know. That's off, the, yeah. off the blueprint of Stussy. Totally. Yeah. You know. so And the name fucking Gato Heroi. I don't know why, but I fucking love that name. Yeah, that so name is so it was so natural. Like we got a cease and desist on cream, which was C R E M E, and then Robbie just it was so nonchalant, like, you know, oh just do Gotcha Roy. I think like in my career too, for whatever reason, like I've had I've been like um around a lot of I would say on one hand very eccentric founders, um, <laughs> but also also just brilliant. You know, yeah. all of them like and, you know, like, I, I really have an affinity for, like, founders in this industry because, they're to me, they're so important. Yeah. Like, you know, and I always say, borderline. Like, hey, none of these guys would be here. I get goosebumps. Like, yeah. none of you guys would, would be here without Pat Tenori and, you know, Richard Wolcott and these guys that started yeah. started this stuff. So, like, you know, Paul to me, Frank totally. is super eccentric. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pat, I mean, like, these guys are yeah. borderline, like, Genius madman. Oh, yeah. totally. Look at Gotcha, like so forward oh, thinking. Michael Thompson? Like, yeah. Dude, yeah. Michael, he set the you know, industry on a f- and, you know, on a call when he was doing what he was doing back then. I heard like I forget who told me, but they they kinda explained Gata Heroi and Robbie Kegel, like his parents were rich. No. no. I mean it's, the story with Robbie is like his parents his mom was kind of a little bit out there and lived on like hippie commune like with bongos and the whole nine and i think robbie was maybe getting a little bit neglected and was then adopted by an older couple who can never have kids and you know robbie didn't grow up like like a traditional kid going to school and stuff like that he just had a really weird upbringing and this couple that that kind of adopted him um just took him in and and gave him an incredible life and opportunity uh, to you know surf and shape boards and just do rad stuff so you know he he you know still had a mom and dad in the picture somewhere but he really was at later in life maybe 12 13 year old years old adopted by this family that kind of took him in and took care of him that's right you know again super eccentric but just you know wildly creative out-of-the-box thinker just incredible guy yeah and how long did that run when you're Working on that project. <laughs> so, so to close the loop on that, so, you know, went and did was doing Gots Roy, but then took a job at Ruka. And the initial thought there was, um, 
you know, well, I'll come in as like a brand manager or maybe do some marketing or something at Ruka and then kind of split my time between both things. And I, I so always Pat hit it off. Pat and I hit Pat and I hit it off and man, like for, for years, like I would just go over and see what Pat was doing. Like and Pat was a guy like no matter when you'd go to the building at eleven thirty at night, Pat would be there grinding, yeah. you know? And I remember like Pat's office there was, <laughs> he had so much shit in his office, but books, pictures, oh imagery, inspiration, one of a kind. But it was so, it was so incredibly inspiring. Yeah. And I remember, like, for a while, there was this like trail <laughs> you had to walk around these books of like, Rin Tanaka books and just magazines and people sending in to get to the couch to then talk to Pat. So for forever, I would just, you know. I'd go home, eat dinner, whatever, and then I'd be like, yeah, I'm just going to wander up to Ruka. So I'd be up there all the time just seeing what they're up to. And Ruka, I just thought it, at its at then, at that time, was like, oh, my God, like this company is going to be huge. You know, it's going to be this dude has an incredible vision. You know, like it's different than anything I see out there. The Artist Network program in his time was way ahead of anyone else doing that. And you know, so I jumped into Ruka at the time as the brand manager, but quickly, like the job, because Ruka was on fire and growing, that my job got intense fast, you know. So I ended up selling my portion of God's Roy back to Robbie's aunt, the aunt, the, you know, adopted mom, and diving headfirst into Ruka. So, um, and then, you know, I think. After- what, what was intense about it? Because it just, was so successful and yeah, it was just gro- it was growing at just an insane pace, that like just a feverish play- pace and um, just the amount of energy and things that would happen in a day at Ruka was unlike anything I'd ever see. Like whether it was you know the guys that would come in there to talk to Pat, like it was it was so bizarre. You'd have like Matt Costa walk in and then all of a sudden a pro surfer, the Christian Fletcher, and then you know. You'd just be like, this This is insane. I think, you know, what, I worked really well with Pat because, you know, I, I listened. <laughs> and I really like... You know, a lot of that with him. I just th- said, hey, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be hopefully the guy that sits behind the scenes and executes and gets shit done. Yeah. And really, like, that. that's what I did really well for, for Pat in the beginning is like, hey, just... You know how do, how do I make sure that his vision is getting yeah put out there the right way? There is there is a time where you know you were kind of this brand manager because you know again I'm not spending all my time there. I'm I'm close by, so I'm in and out a lot. But people are like, we are already working. Oh yeah, but like, what is what you know? What was Brad do? You know, like Brad's always here, but he's not working. You know, it wasn't technically like. You know, at least for the first few months, it yeah. was, it was, you know, it wasn't like, oh, Brad's coming in and he's doing, you know, like when you said brand manager, it was kind of like your help facilitating. Brand manager, not brand, brand manager. Brand manager. <laughs> Whatever you're doing, helping Pat, you know, yeah. like that was the kind of initial like jest that we got. We're like, yeah. wow, okay, Brad's here to kind of help facilitate Pat. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Like initially, like when I first came in, like we thought well, let's hire a president. We hired Dan Levine. Like Pat and I thought like we need we need this guy we need a guy that could do that. We pulled Dan Levine from in from Hurley and Dan didn't last long. I don't know if no. you remember that. Yeah, but Dan Dan was probably in the business and out of the business within like eight months. 
And again, Ruka was a different beast. Like the 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 grind and the pace was just yeah. absolutely intense. You know, and I'd say in in a good way, but some people just aren't wired for that. Yeah. Like you know, I I would go into that building at. 8.30, you know, maybe Pat would call and be getting a coffee, and then I'd get back in my car, meet Pat somewhere, and we'd grind it out till 7. We'd go out for dinner, come back to the building, and we're back at it till midnight. Like, a lot, you know? Yeah. So so I think, you know, you're either... And I... Man, I love that. Like, yeah. I, I just love... I'm like, we're going to take over the fucking world. Like, yeah. and, you know, again, I get chills just thinking about it because it was such a special time. And just being around, like, that energy. Pat, people say, you know, sometimes... Paths challenging to work with. I think a lot of like brilliant eccentric founders are, you yeah, know, like yeah, for sure. The, Pat's demands on what he expects are the bar is high because you know he wants shit done right, really. Yeah. You know, and so he, and he's one of those guys from the beginning. He did it all. Like yeah. it wasn't like I just come in and hired all these people. Like it would be like he's doing it all at the beginning. Yeah. Well, people you know? people like, don't realize. I said it earlier, like that domestic production, like. Pat understands how to make a pattern. Pat could sew a garment. You know, he he's a guy that wants sewing machines in his building. You know, he's he's old school like that. Yeah. And a lot, like I said, a lot of guys think, well, shit, I went to Finneman. I know Illustrator, so I'm a yeah. designer. It's not. We can have somebody case. do that. Yeah. So you know, it was it was an awesome. You know, Ruka was an awesome experience. Um, Pat, you know, again, I'm I was executing his vision, but. I think Pat gave me some wins. Like I had some ideas here and there and he go, well, shoot, let's do it. Like, you know, I had this idea to do the Chinelli bikes yeah. and I was, I'm super, still super into bicycles. And so, you know, it, it wasn't like, well, we're doing everything and no, I don't want to, you know, give Brad a win here. Like I, I was able to get some wins and I really, really enjoyed it. But the pace was gnarly. Yeah. Like, you know, it really, sounds, really, it's, he's such a, the metal. a demanding guy. Yeah. Right, like he, I've seen him in action in in yeah. the in the middle of the day, yeah. and I can't, I couldn't imagine being part of that every single day from fucking well, dawn to dusk. Well, then beyond. Well, the day was in the early days, like that was his networking, that was him kind yeah. of directing and doing all that, and then in the evenings was when he really got his work done. So he put in a lot, a lot of long hours, yeah, grind, just you know, grinding. but, you know, again, like he, like, like he knew how to, he did everything. So I guess when he, you know, brought people in, you know, it was, you know, like he said, the bar was high, but you know, yeah. he was always analyzing everybody else in our industry, who's biting us, who's catching up. And he was like, so a couple steps ahead of everybody all the time. Yeah. It's funny you, when you brought up Dan Levine and I have no idea who Dan Levine I know who Dan Levine is and it was like one of those things that always irks me is like when you hire people that are from from some other business that is successful that's out of our industry right and you're like oh yeah you know he he is part of that business and you know his title is this he's probably you know the right guy for the job just because of his association right but literally like you still have to have a grasp on our culture and even you know and you got to mesh with the the crew the, and the people yeah the owner. that's what i'm saying like yeah. the culture of the company already 
Well, I, I think mean, in our industry, I would say it does matter a whole lot. And yeah. you know, you could people could say what they say about a guy like Paul Nade, but I loved watching the stab piece when Paul saw. You know, I don't like in just outsiders coming into this industry, yeah. and you know, so Dan Dan's a good dude, and I learned I actually learned a lot, and we still are friendly. Um, but why why people like your podcast is people people buy into authenticity and sincerity, sure. and it matters a whole lot. So I think that is probably why I was able to get wins with Pat. I get emotional thinking about it, but because you know, I could talk the talk and walk walk the walk. Yeah, you know. Pat's a good surfer. <laughs> still, I mean, if Pat yeah. goes out, he could he could still rip any time and not surf for a year and go out and surf really good. But I think because I knew guys like Jay and I was part and I you know grew up shaping and stuff like that, I got a little bit of street cred with with Pat that probably other guys wouldn't have yeah. got. You know, well, not just that you're like putting in the work. Yeah, you know, and putting in the time and and like helping him execute. The vision. It's cliche and everyone says that like, oh, well, you have to work hard. You have to work hard. And, you know, like um, everyone would tell you that. And for sure. For me, like like I said earlier, I was a shitty student. You know, I I, but I kind of had a a feeling coming into it like I'll outwork fucking anyone. Like I'm going to come in and absolutely work circles around any anybody and put myself in a position to get the opportunities just because I'm simply going to outwork them. And I really did. Well, that's, I I mean, we talk about like the common denominators and why people are successful and it's, you know, hard work. You can't get around that, you know, and, you know, being able to talk and communicate and delegate and, you know, I think the authenticity part of, for our industry, I think that helps keep us, keeps us and, and, good people in the positions that they're in because you know if you're authentic and you're willing to put in the hours and the, and the hard work that you know. yeah for sure matters a lot so um that was your first stint at ruka my first stint you know then and- ruka sold to billabong um and <laughs> we could talk for hours about that but long story short we were growing like crazy you yeah. know like and in 2008, it's, you know, I think like, oh, man, I hope we're not about, that's not about to happen again. I hope not. But the economy dried up, the real estate market crashed. Like most growing companies, we had a factor, our factor relationship was Wells Fargo. And not just Ruka, but everyone, the banks turned off the money. And we were forced to do something. And we um, sold the billabong. I think, you know, Pat today would probably say, you know, I, I, there probably was other things we could have done and we certainly could have, you know, sometimes I beat myself up thinking like, man, there could have maybe been another better option there, but we did it, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, I moved on and, um, for, for me, um, moving on was, um, was an incredible experience for me because, um, I started a company with, um, a couple people, Conan was part of that company, which, you know, I didn't talk a lot about Conan at all in, in Ruka. Conan's relationship was always a little bit odd. Like he'd be in China for a year at a time, maybe, or maybe he was in France, or I don't know, Who maybe. But he was, you know, kind of a mysterious guy. But you know, my my jump out of Ruka into this new company, it was weird because 
um, Ben Soto, who I mentioned, we worked at Paul Frank. I got him involved, but we didn't know what we were going to do. Like we, I remember we sat, we had a warehouse, which was weird. Like we got a little warehouse <laughs> and we we're sitting at a card table and we like had a few ideas. Like we, we were making these 3D shoes that were not good. They were kind of like Crocs with dinosaur um, components on them and stuff. They're they're like almost there, but not quite that good. And then we were doing these eco-friendly plastic bags. And then we were doing like some licensing work um, for Shrek, you know, like taking Ben's artwork and saying, well, shit, I know I could go make us money if I just take Ben's artwork and we pump out product for Shrek and invoice them. And maybe that will get some money coming in to figure it out. So how did that, how did that, did you leave Bill or Bill Wong? Did you leave Ruka on good terms and, or did you get forced out or? No, no, I, I, I left, okay. you know, I, I basically like was, I, as soon as the deal was done, I met with Paul Nadei and, and just told him like, Hey, I, I'm burnt. I'm burned out and need, need a break and need to do something totally different. And, um, Paul said, Go go spend a week at the house at the Billabong house in Hawaii. Recharge, come back if you need a month off. If you need three months off, and I went to Hawaii and never came back. You know, and again, like I said, I would have handled stuff different. I, you know, again, I get emotional thinking about it. I owe Pat more, and I should have been a lot uh, more, you know, courteous to Pat and how I left the brand the first time. Um, but I truly was. I was just. I was burnt. And yeah. getting a, getting a, putting together a deal and, of you know, like that and the due diligence and everything. I just. I had to, you know, free up and get get away and do something totally, totally yeah. new. Because you, you were part of that due diligence process. I yeah. I, I would say you know I spearheaded the deal. I was you yeah. know Paul Nade said, you know, hey, you're the architect of the deal. So, you know, I, I did a ton of it. What you know I didn't mention like. I left and for a little bit consulted for how I ended up developing a relationship with McKnight. I consulted a little bit for Quicksilver and worked on VSTR and Moscova mm. and Summer Teeth. So did that for a little bit while we were trying to get our company started. That was just a you know little paycheck to help pay the bills. It was kind of fun, you know, tinkering yeah, around yeah. with some new brands and stuff. But um, I, you know, we we were doing these wacky shoes and stuff, and then one day. Um, we had the idea, like, why, why, why don't we put these same 3D things on a helmet? Like, kids have to wear helmets. It's, it's, you know, the law, and kids go around the corner and stash the helmet in the bushes, or just it's hard getting a little kid to wear them. So we're like, what if we, what if we like made made the helmet fun and we ripped the 3D components off the sandals and glue them on, glued them onto the helmets? And we thought, okay, there's something here. Like this is just, it's it's kind of a dumb idea. Yeah, no, one, yeah. no one was doing it at the time, but we thought like, well, there's some there's something for this. Little kids would think this is fun to wear a unicorn helmet, or so we went to we went to the Interbike trade show and like last second we you know called Interbike. Hey, do you have a booth? They said, um, yeah, yeah, we'll get you. And it's like they probably pushed two booths apart to charge us the money to be there with a the card table. But um, the very first customer that came up was Target, you know, and wow. it was funny because go, going into that trade show in what my was the show Vegas, Vegas you know, okay. and your samples were just kind of like a little bit, little bit hooky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah little, you know, a little crude like, but and I thought being, you know, coming out of Paul Frank and Ruka, I thought like, 
oh, we're going to sell these to bike shops. We'll, you know, like, and then the first person that came up and um, was Target. Like, I didn't, I didn't really know what that meant at the time. I'm like, oh, that, that's interesting. Like, wow, Target wants to. And, you know, the guy was asking all kinds, hey, have you sold this to anyone else yet? And they're like, no, you're real, you're the first person looking at them. And um, <laughs> then the next person that, you know, bike shop dudes were walking right by, you know, like, yeah. and we're just sitting there like dummies, like, okay, this, you know, like maybe people don't like these or what's up. And then the next person that came by was uh, the buyer of Walmart. And I remember the guy in the when the Walmart guy left, the guy in the booth across from me came over and, and said like, "Oh man, like I've seen the two buyers. Like you just met with the only two buyers that matter, you know." Wow. And I'm like, "Wow!" But I didn't I didn't know it. So we flew. I flew to Minneapolis after to go to Target, and um, you know, going to the Target building, man, it's so different. Like think of like meeting with Jacks or AP or. <laughs> Like, then you go to Target in Minneapolis, it's like, oh, okay, wow, this is crazy. Different different economies of scale with this business. So, you know, so they what, got, did you bring helmets? Brought, brought the same samples we had at the trade show. How, like, how many scale, like, how many, like, we only had four. four. We had four, four styles. Like, that was it, you know? So, what was the cost of making these helmets? Yeah. Like, retail, how much or, would you, you sell know, them for? Well, wholesale retail. Yeah, I mean, call call it just roundabout, like twelve dollars and fifty cents wholesale, and they retailed for you know twenty four ninety nine. Yeah, so not, but yeah, we went we went in there, and the the guys like, um, yeah, we want to do in caps, and it's going to be in seventeen hundred stores on in cap. And I'm like, okay, okay, like you know, I have no idea what that means, you know. Yeah. So um, then they said, we'll send you a PO. So, you know, my partner is like, Ben is like, well, what, how'd it go? I go, I think it went good. Like they're talking about an in cap, you know, and that probably is good, right? Like that's probably a lot, you know, so 1700 doors. Yeah. 1750 doors. So anyway, the, the PO comes through and it was insane. Like in, like I was like, Oh my God. Like, the amount of like helmets they ordered was twenty thousand units, like way, way, way more than that. Yeah. <laughs> so, and again, the economies of scale. Like during the peak of that helmet run, we were shipping sixty thousand helmets a week to Walmart, like a week. So wait, wait, wait. Target was seventeen fifty. Yeah. So we had an in. We launched on an in cap, and how Target works is they'll try stuff on an in cap. If it sells through and the in cap performs, then they'll invite you to this review where they're looking to put stuff in line and so the in cap performed incredibly well and they took two of our styles and put two of our styles in line at every day at target and you know fast forward you know now it's like most of the styles at target are 3d helmets that you know like we we just had this we call it taken pegs but we just had this mentality of like we're just going to go in there and take every single peg we could get in that helmet section. And they liked us. You think about, you know, we talked about action sport industry. Being culturally connected matters. Like, we'd go into these. It, they do it on purpose at Target. Like, you're in there with the Bell guys, and they're all wearing triple pleated cotton dockers and guys that are 55 years old and balding and just, you know. like. Whoa. Uh, I'm sorry, Jay. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No. <laughs> just kidding. Bad balding, yeah. like Gallagher balding. Yeah. You know? So anyway, but rest, you, rest you, in peace. But you guys weren't stuffy and super no, business. We were fun. You were just fine. Yeah. We were like, super fun. And we, we went in there just being like ourselves and we're funny and we're wearing jeans and they just, the buyers are young and we're like, oh, we have this and this. And they, 
uh, they, they, we literally like have Ben on a computer and like the girl would be like, oh, you should do like a pink unicorn. And you're like, here, like this. And they're like, yeah, oh, send you a sample in a week. Like we just, you know, took that like hard work mentality and, you know, just developed relationships with these buyers and it just killed what, it. What was your uh, margin on a helmet? Um, <laughs> like it's, again, it's different because the economies of scale are so, so different than action sports. So, you know, we, we'd get like mid forties on a helmet, like 46, 48 points on, and, but you know, we're so, we're selling a, a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of yeah. helmets, you know? And a lot of it, so, I'm sure was factory drop ship straight to them. You're not having to like, we're talking we're, containers, containers of, oh yeah. I mean, like I, the 40 footers. Yeah, I mean, like it, again, it was you know it's such, it was such a different business. The other thing too, if you think about these silly helmets, it we call it cake decorating, like is the term we kind of made up for it because you have a bike helmet and the only it's one. You have sizes, but the sizes were um, dictated by the pads inside. Yeah, and then it's just cake decorating the components. So you know, we started with one cutie cat. And then after that, we're like, well, let's do a different cat. You know, probably we had 25 different cats at the end of it. Yeah. Or unicorns or whatever. Yeah. Shark, dinosaur. Yeah. I mean, I see the the, Mohawk one. So that, that we named the company Supreme, but the brand that, you know, took off was Rascals. Rascals. I mean, I I probably see a Rascals helmet every day, you know, like, and what's crazy is like there's some of those styles are the same ones that we sold in years ago they just so you, it was you know you just don't know it's like man there's new three-year-olds every day that need to help so most you know? brands have to kind of start locally grow their distribution <laughs> yeah you guys went zero to a hundred in overnight yeah it was it was a different to, totally different experience and i well, spent when, when was the uh, first appointment after uh vegas like a week, like a weeks. week, yeah. Like a week later, we flew there. Then it was funny. Like we then we flew to Walmart, and oh my god, like doing business with Walmart, whew, totally different. Totally, where are they? Like, at? They're in uh, Bentonville, Arkansas. You know, and and you know, doing business with those guys, like they have all kinds of rules. Like nothing. There's you go to Target. Target's pretty nice. Like there's incredible artwork on the buildings, and you know, it's a fancy, really nice building. Walmart yeah, is like totally stripped down. Like intentionally, they don't want to show. Yeah, they're they just like strictly just low key. Totally, you know. So t- Walmart was pissed because we shipped Target first, first, and that that started becoming like a real strategy. Is like, okay, well, we have this new unicorn helmet. Do we show it to Walmart first or Target first? And you had to be really careful because they would get really pissed yeah. if the other guy had it and. Um, they all wanted exclusivity and they don't want, you know, what are you doing here? So, you know, we, we what we did, we started with helmets and then the same buyer, it's the same thing you deal, deal with, Jay. You have one buyer buying everything. Yeah. So that buyer, we're like, well, what else does this dude buy? Well, he buys skateboards and bikes and swim equipment. So we went in and, you know, we were really disruptive in just changing everything we could. We made like skateboards that were cut out in the shape of sharks or ice cream cones and you know the po's is just so different like they go i oh, will try that you give me a po for ten thousand units and oh, that's trying it yeah. you know and you'd be like oh my god you know so ben my business partner and now brother-in-law like he spent a ton of time in china like yeah. he had to get, he'd go there you know we um 
the company had an apartment there. So he'd go and spend, you know, four months in Hong Kong making sure stuff was right. And, but it was, it was, you know, it was one of those lightning in a bottle type of ideas that was just like, oh my God, just dumb. When people say like, oh, I had a dumb idea and no one was doing it before. It was, it was that. And how did you guys like, you know, usually, you know, in, in typical business, you know, you start with a little nest egg, some sort of loan, and then you start kind of like, Borrowing more, paying more, growing. Like, you, how did you guys finance? Well, that? two two of my partners had bankroll significant net worth because you know one came out of the sale of Ruka, yeah. the other one had family money. So you know, and for us, like, it, man, it was it, looking back, like it's, it was scary. Like, I you know, I came into that and didn't take a salary or anything. Like, we just all went for it, you yeah. know. And um, after about a you know a year, like we started taking salaries and stuff, but it was truly like a bootstrap. The initial seed money came from the two other partners, me, Ben, and then two other guys. Yeah. And, and then, um, you know, it ended up being able to finance itself. The other thing about dealing with Target is when they say net 30, it's net 30. Like it's not net 60 or yeah. you don't have to take a guy. Chase some shows yeah. up in your bank account. You don't have to go. 30 days. Know, take a dude out to lunch and be like, so that $800 you owe us, you know, like it's, yeah. and you're not collecting from, you know, a thousand little bike shops. You're collecting one mega freaking <laughs> yeah. store. That yeah, totally. Values the business. But I, I, I learned, a, I learned so much from it. Like, you know, thinking like, well, how does that? And then I went back into the action sport industry. So you when, idiot. <laughs> just so, but you know, it's like, if you're doing business with Walmart, yeah, you better do what you say you're going to do. Like, yeah. you know, you can't, there's no like, you know, hustle or you, you got to, if you, if you promise some, one of those, because the, again, the economies of scale are so big. You're dealing, you're dealing with massive units and, and yeah. if in there, those Can't guys have an are all on 10,000 units, no. like it's got to no. come in exactly like, and totally. What's crazy is, you know, the, some of the biggest buyers that do the most business, they're the easiest people yeah. to do business with, but they're also, it, you can't fuck with it. Yeah, no, no room for error. Yeah, no error. room for error. But they make it really easy for you to do business with them. Yeah, you just w- can't fuck. Was, with was it. it tough finding like, like supply, like production, like, or was there a couple? You know, like a shoe brand. Like, there's three manufacturers <laughs> that build majority of shoes. Yeah, yeah. I've got, I've gotten really lucky. I keep saying naive, like just being naive. Like we went to China and we were like searching for like who who makes helmets, who makes helmets. This guy told he's a he's a good friend and actually invested in my last company I sold, so we've had a good relationship. But we met this guy who we looked at like who he was producing for, and it said Schwinn and other people. Like, oh, we found the guy that makes helmets. We went out and met with the guy and said, hey, we want to make helmets. He showed us all these helmets. The guy didn't make helmets at all. Come to find out, like two years later, he fessed up and told us he he made decals for bicycles so he was a printer that was making but he didn't want to turn around the business he he was subbing it it to make it dude the guy literally went and found a friend to make the initial po's and in the meantime saw the the amount of volume and went out and bought his own eps foam machines and we grew together and now the guy still today he's one of bell helmets like largest manufacturers and he became like a really good friend but you know i'd say the one thing about like china the chinese factories that i've worked with like that guy in particular like just wildly entrepreneurial where like you know there's a saying like hey if someone gives you a good opportunity just say yes and then figure it out yeah that that was the same thing this dude just absolutely 
But it, you know, spent a ton, ton, ton of time in. Hey, you make Bentonville, helmets, Arkansas. yeah? I make helmets, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, the guy literally had like samples he didn't make. You know? Yeah, like, well, like later on, like you go over there, they go, you go to dinner, and so at one point he told us like, hey, like I, we just laughed. We're like, well, you pulled it, good, yeah. good for you, you know. That's yeah. fucking incredible. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty nuts. Because I mean, again, that's the interesting side of you know the, the conversations is you know like. To have an idea and a brand or whatever, but the execution on the other side of yeah. finding somebody to make it, logistics, like how, you know, like it's so it's freaking crazy. Go, go, going back when you first came out with the helmet, right? Yeah. Like, and and started the, doing the funny, quirky, cool rascals. Yep. Did you show your wife and your friends first, like the, the little... No, you know, test you know, tube kind of like... I kept it. Hey, is this a good idea or not? You know, like... No, I mean we we kept it like Ben and I both like kept it pretty guarded and we were pretty quiet about it for a long time. Like I don't think anyone knew it was us or what we were doing. And I, you know, I, I've told told you earlier, Lyndon. I've probably to a fault. I've kept a lot of things I've I've done kind of a, a little bit just quiet. You yeah. know, so no, we I, we did hire quite a few people. Like most of that office at rascals was paul frank people that like i just liked and trusted and did you know did great work for me earlier in my career so you know there are a handful of people that knew but we were pretty guarded about it yeah. you know cuz it i mean you don't have to really ask too many people if that's a good idea or not cuz it's a fucking slam dunk right but you know when you're first starting and you're, you you have to figure out how to sell it and, and it's the inner bike show that you do it. And it's just so crazy that here's an industry that neither of you really know, except for making stuff, making cool stuff in an industry that's outside of your realm. And you get to the biggest buyers yeah. in the world, in the world, yeah. come to you. And yeah, you, you think, you know, thinking of those guys, like you just think like, you know, I still like send the target buyer Christmas cards and stuff because the guy changed my life, you know. Yeah. But that you think about those guys, like, and we we ended up like we had a full office and staff in Bentonville in Minneapolis. We had showrooms. Every company in the world that does business with Walmart does. You have to, like, yeah. you have to have, you know, because the the you know the business is meaningful enough that you just invest and do that. But yeah, it was an awesome run, and we did, you know, we did like. We, we did the 3D helmets. We did these helmets called Sparkles that you see them. They, they're like really hectic and have all kinds of graphic graphics and stuff. We did a helmet called Bolt that had a video camera in the center of it. So sold the company to Bell Helmets, and um, which was an awesome experience. But then... How much? <laughs> de- no. Decent. What what was the... Did okay. What was, the, what was the reasoning of selling? Just You just knew you... Oh man, again, and I've done this a couple times. And I've talked to you just on the friend level about it, Jay. But um, maybe I've been a burden hand guy to a fault sometimes. Mm-hmm. Maybe growing up and having educators as parents and thinking like safety, like we shouldn't have sold it. Like we should have kept. We we should have kept going. What we're we're really scared about two things: lawsuits, and it happened a few times where we'd get sued, and you'd think like, oh man, like. We're protecting kids. We're doing everything we can to encourage a kid to wear a helmet. And, you know, sometimes a kid it gets hurt. Yeah, yeah. And you can't control it. 
And number two, we're really worried about the Bell or Pacific Cycle knocking, ca- off. knocking off our idea. And we had design patents around like our Mohawk, but we didn't have a utility patent on, and being able to put 3D on. And we started seeing it, like being in China as much as we were. You're going up against monsters, and if they wanted to get yeah. after you, they could have just crushed you. So we saw like, particularly Bell, like we'd yeah. be in factories in China and be like, oh shit, who's doing the... Um, who's copying our the stuff. Hello Kitty 3D one like oh we don't have the license for Hello Kitty like yeah. that's a little scary we got licenses on the, the tail end like I was able to get the Marvel li- license we had Nickelodeon so if you ever seen like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that was all part of our group but we didn't have Disney like in Disney proper like you start going out with like Disney characters we're like oh that's a tough fight to fight yeah. so that were the lawsuits and getting copied by the big guys scared us so and we sold it to Bell, and it was, you know, it was a life changing thing for me and the group of people there. Um, and I worked for Bell, and that's the first business that you, yeah, yeah, you made and sold. Yeah, and um, with you know, with some partners for sure. Yeah. But um, and then I worked at Bell, and it was awful. You know, it's just everything you think about. Like the people were nice, but private equity owned, mm-hmm. and just you know, just wanted to change what was everything. Bell? Bell's in a city called Scotts Valley, which is up like up north. You um, kind of inland like, San Francisco, basically. Yeah, yeah. So we have water polo there. Yeah, beautiful area, but you know, just everything changed and was different. So I kind of had a little bit of the entrepreneurial itch, and you know, w- what was interesting about helmets and reflection was at mass market there was two people. There was Pacific Cycle, who makes Schwinn and a bunch of brands you've never heard of. And Bell, that was it. There's only two. That so dominate the helmet market. Yeah. So we thought about that, like, wow, what made these stupid helmets work? Like, and yeah, they're new and different, three D. But a big part of it was like you had a category that was stale mm. because people were kind of just resting on their laurels. There's only two players, and we thought we could go in there and be wildly disruptive if we just do something different than the guys that are out there. So. Ben and I thought, like, what's like that? Like, what's another category that, and we, oh man, like, my wife would laugh at me, but I just walk Target every day, like, and go, what else is like that? Okay, toothpaste, so one, two, three, four, five, and like, uh, like, and then this I, guy, and then I started uh, walking down the cooler aisle, and I'm like, okay, you got Coleman, Igloo, and the styrofoam one. That's it. Like, that's it. That's um, yeah, then I told I told Ben because Yeti wasn't like. Thing yet, right? That was premium and very niche. Yeah, but yeah. totally. Yeah, not a. Actually, target. wasn't like in our. No, and I was thinking. Radar, I was yeah. partly at the time thinking, thinking of coming out of helmets. Like I knew everyone at Target. I was there all the time. I knew all the buyers. Yeah. So specifically yeah, thinking, in, like, how do I yeah. use leverage those relationships in some other category? So I took Ben. Ben's he he's awesome, but I have to push Ben off the cliff. Like Ben, you know, you have to really sell. Yeah, you're so, going with me. So I pull up at this intersection one time, and I'm like, Ben, CVS has coolers, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And I'm all, and Walmart has coolers, right? And he's like, yeah. And I go, Dick's Sporting Goods has coolers, and the gas station has coolers. Every one of these guys has coolers. And I'm at Target, I was looking, and Walmart, there's only two people that have coolers. We're going to make coolers. And he instantly was like, well, we already know how to make bike helmets. They're made out of foam, and like we can make coolers. So, you know, I quit working at Bell and kind of, again, just crazy, but 
rented a building across from Four Sons, and you know before we really ha- like needed to, it was just part part of like you get that little space, you're like, you like gotta, gotta make shit happen, yeah. you know? Yeah, you you got Forces some you to you got some skin in the game. Movie. Like, hey, yeah. we're this isn't just a thought. We're we're doing it, you know. So we made these the initial pine cool, building or renting it and getting office space before you even have it launched. Yeah, stupid, you know. <laughs> But um, what do you the, call this company? The so we the parent we always do like a holding company and then a brand. So we called it Land and Sea Recreation, but the brand was called You Stuff, like you. But the buyers like that. Like I learned that from Pat. Like yeah. I was so Pat. Like why Ruka? And people say Rivka or RVCA. And Pat's like the ambiguity made people talk about it. So as silly as it was, like it gave us a story. Like going to Target, they'd be like, "What? What is you?" And like. Oh well, in surf culture, like if your friend gets a good wave, you give him a you, you know. Yeah, we do that all the time. But they love like, that. They shoots, love it. So yeah, around a shoot. Yeah, totally. Um, so anyway, we made this cooler and got a big PO from Target, and then you know I started thinking like, wait, what made you what? The styrofoam cooler. Right. What did you do to do, do different? Think of think of a bicycle helmet, and that's all it was. We just took um, EPS foam and wrapped the foam with a hard shell like a bike helmet. So super cheap, you know, but the insulation was great, and it, it worked, you know, it worked really well. We knew how to make it. So we flew to Target. They said, hey, we'll try it. They, they bought... Uh, Hamburger style and one that looked like a sunset. But there are a lot of tricky things about coolers where, you know, I started thinking like, oh, man, you're shipping a lot of air because they're really light and it's hard to, like, how do these guys do this? So I tried to do the sharp yeah, damage control. Totally. You know, and just, and cost. And, and then, like, cost. how to, you know, stack them and pack them. Yeah, and started doing a lot of research. And I'm like, that's weird. Like, all the big cooler companies make them here. Like, if you think, like, Igloos in Katy, Texas, in like a two million square foot facility, making their own coolers. Like Lifeoma makes the styrofoam ones, are up in Vernon, and they're, they're making them here. They're not shipping across the ocean because you're shipping air, air, you know. In so, space. so I flew to Igloo in Katy, Texas, and um, you know, told the CEO, I said, "Hey, I want to meet with you," and and um, you know, I, I said, "Hey, I, how I can- long into the into the business was this?" This is like, it's unbelievable. So when I was at the intersection, when I was at the intersection showing Ben was like August, we had a sample of the cooler by November and I was in a meeting with Target in February and now it's June and I'm at Igloo, wow. you know? So, so like half a year. Yeah, six months. So and you went to them because they had the supply chain here domestically. I thought, well, we could tap into their reps. Then we could tap into their manufacturing. They've, you know, they Did you have a patent have, or, or yeah, a trademark on. We had a patent, um, utility patent, which yeah. is good. And you know, I met with the CEO and I said, hey, you're these just launched at Target yesterday. You're going to see these, and um, you know, um, I'm looking for. A partner that could, you know, put by thirty percent of the company. We could be the first right to buy it down the road. And I go, and by the way, like here's and we Ben and I worked on like a pipeline of other stuff. We're like, and behind this, you're going to see lunch bags and this and this and this. So I met Gosh. with the CEO and uh, flew home. Ben, Ben, I called Ben. And he's like, how'd it go? I go, I think it went pretty good. So the next day, the CEO called me. and goes, hey, I'm going to fly to California. 
can you meet me somewhere? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So, you know, I, I met the guy at a Starbucks and he goes, look, um, we don't want to invest. We want to buy the whole company. I go, well, it's not much of a company yet. It's really like, it's just a few of us. And, you know, we've got one PL. And, and he goes, look, uh, you know, we, we need people like you to come in and take Igloo to a different level. And, you know, we're, we want to buy, you know, your company, but really the talent, the people in, in your building. And um, <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. That's not what you're thinking. Not at all. No. Yeah. You just wanted to have somebody to help you sell and distribute. And totally. Make. And it was an interesting deal, like it, which led to like it led to a lot of innovation so, in a weird so way. Fucking stop, real quick. So You're saying six months in six fucking months. Well, I I kid you not. When we had that, we're at the intersection thinking of what should we make. Was August. We sold the company um, in the following September. So thirteen months from idea to selling it, but. You know, hold, but hold the thought. Like, you know, it's not, this is not, you know, doing a gigantic transaction. It was, it was a tiny company in its infancy. Yeah. So, you know, we, we got a check and it was, it was pretty good, but, you know, it, it wasn't like, you know, a gigantic watershed event. Like, we had a little company with a few POs from Target and sold our little company to Igloo. But, um, it was great, and I think like I've done a lot of interesting stuff. But one of the things in reflection I'm most proud of is like we turned Igloo around. Like Igloo put every single thing out facing. So the they had the idea, hey, let's just keep manufacturing in Katy, Texas. We want to put design, marketing, everything else in your company out here. So we did that. Like we hired graphic designers from. The action sport industry. I brought in Brian Garofalo to do marketing, and we took a company that the owners of the company told me like, "Hey, this company's dying on the vine. It's just a commodity. We just want to dump it." And I never saw it that way. I, I like walked in that building and I'm like, "These guys don't even know what they have." Like iconic. Yeah, it's freaking yeah. a legacy brand. Totally. It's like we all grown up with this brand and using it. Like, let's fucking make it cool. Totally. Like, and, and it's, as they, it's really just. Bringing it back to the market and reintroducing, slapping some lipstick on it, but yet in a fucking cool way. Yeah. So we had we had this like no we part of the selling of our company. I could look. I'm not going to just sell it to you and take a chance that you don't need us or whatever. We we want no cut deals for three years. Like you're going to have to employ us. And they said, yeah, like sure. But what was your salary? It was good. (laughs) (laughs) It was okay. But. but okay, they do get royalties or like, you, how, yeah. like so you got hey we're gonna buy the company we're gonna give you ro- so you asked what? about patents so we it was, it was it was an interesting thing in that like we got an initial check up front we got a check when the patent went through because we had patents on it and then we got a, a royalty for as long as we we're employed by the company we got this royalty too so it was a pretty it was a pretty good deal for the long haul but you know the cool thing is you got to set up your own igloo office in california yeah look at um scott scotty stopnik yes another another, member of uh of the crew alumni alumni for sure so you know because they couldn't fire us um we just went for it we're like we we're just really kind of um, dead set on like turning the thing around. Just well, saying, you had like, unlimited you resources, you know. 
But, you know, you yeah. had the production capabilities. You had all that stuff that would normally keep you a little bit more conservative and kind of like less risk, like all to the side. Now yeah. it's like, let's fucking did, have did, fun. Did they come up with the idea of you being the new office marketing design? No, it was, it was really like you, we, pi- we pitched them. Senior said, Vice President of Marketing and Product Development. Yeah, so you, you told them, hey, why don't you let us run with the ball of trying to? We just we got a couple we got a couple big wins, and the and that helped you know kind of get them comfortable with the idea of putting everything in California. Like so, you know, going way back to Paul Frank, and I told you like we we we're kind of first on a lot of collaborations. Like the igloo has the Playmate cooler, right? Yeah, yeah. and it's been around since 1973, and they've made millions and millions and millions of these coolers. Um, you know, uh, and they sell, they're selling them at Walmart for $17.99. And they're great. They're just a good cooler to take beer to the beach for yeah. a day. It's very different than Yeti. But my the first collaboration I did at Igloo was, you know, I called Andy Davis, who's done a ton of stuff in the surf, surf industry. Yeah. And I said, hey, would you want to do something with Igloo? And so we just took Andy Davis graphics and put them on a Playmate. But then we started talking to Igloo a ton about, hey, this is going to allow us. Yeah, there's one. (laughs) This is going to allow us to um, do segmentation. So we could go and sell uh, Andy Davis cooler to a surf shop. And, you you know, we'll keep selling them to Walmart, too. So we put this Andy Davis cooler in Thalia Street of all surf shops. And in two weeks, it sold like 240 units. And, you know, so I got up at the board meeting and, like, I had two of them. And I'm like, this cooler right here is selling for $17.99 at Walmart. And this one right here is selling for $49.99 at the surf shop. And the only difference is the graphic. You know, so I go, this will allow us to think different about segmentation in the brand. And that was the big thing we did with Igloo is said, hey, we could sell a lot of coolers at Walmart and Target, but we could probably sell a lot to Dick Sporting Goods and these other places. And there wasn't a day that went by at my Igloo career, even Jay just mentioned it, like, well, what about Yeti? And I'd say, Yeti's great. Like, it's an incredible cooler and a little heavy, but, you know, that's because I keep, you know, stuff for five, ice for five days. Um, but I'd say, you know, it, Yeti makes about 500,000 coolers a year. Um, we do about 23 million. You know, we're making a cooler every 22 seconds. You know, so it's just different. And yeah. the average American, crazy stat, the average American has uh, three Igloo products um, in their house. Like, if you think, like, you're probably like, oh, shit, yeah, I have an Igloo Playmate and this and that. Like, so it's just, to me, I, I never saw it as a commodity. I saw it as a brand, you yeah. know, and something like, if we breathe a little life into this brand, what could it be? And the company grew a ton, you know. We, we were able to really grow it and... It did a lot of interesting things like the styrofoam cooler led to Ben and I developing a, a sustainable cooler out of like pulp that biodegrades. That was a big game changer. So, you know, we, we really did some good stuff at Igloo and it, it was fun. You know, the downside is, you know, I, even though we moved everything here, I was flying back and forth to Texas every other week. I had little little kids and, I, you know, you miss your kid hit a home run at Little League and you're like, oh, man, what am I doing? And then Pat called me. <laughs> and Pat called me at the right time. And so you were just coming up on your three years? Yeah, or? I was literally like I was ending ending my term at Igloo. And 
Pat and I started talking and I just missed it. I missed being around surfing. I missed being around the athletes. I miss, you know, and this igloo shit was too easy. Uh, <laughs> igloo was great, man. It was really, it was really good. Sometimes I think like, oh man, you know, like, you know, should, should I have jumped? And, you know, but part of it too, just talking to, I, you know, speak highly of Pat and I have a ton of respect for him. A little bit of like, I owed it to Pat. Like I kind of thought, like man, I, it's I my time to come back. And I did kind it, of redeem. Yeah, I did it. I, I did it in things the way I, I should have. This guy gave me a huge break in my career. He needed some help, you know. And I thought, yeah. like man, I'll come back in and try to try to you know get some help. And then you know was at at Ruka for a couple years, and then you know lo and behold, the owners moved me to Quicksilver, where I am now. So anyway, I'm jumping all over the place. Yeah, yeah. So so Pat called you and said, hey. Come back. Let's talk. And what? What? Uh, what did? What was your role? Because I was officially title? like board riders was taking over. Yeah. So so the Billabong and Quicksilver were separate, you know, and it was starting to kind of all come under one roof. And that's the kind of time frame when you. Yeah, and I think you in. know Pat. Like we made magic happen. You know, again, I I always tell people I was really good at helping execute Pat's vision. Like, that's what Ruka is. It's Pat's vision, not mine. I just am there to block and tackle and get things done. So he just... <laughs> block and tackle. A lot of block and tackling. But, you know, he he wanted to get back to doing some of the marketing things we'd done before. And, you know, I thought like, well, shit. You know, I, I love the brand and think it's special. I told Pat, I'm all, private equity is not fun. And I'm sure this yeah. is going to be different than our first run together. But I went back for... A couple of years and, and, you know, um, did, I think, a lot of good stuff during the couple of years. What I what I kind of liked about marketing that, or what I liked about Ruka the second time is we didn't have a VP of marketing and I was able to do a lot of both. Like, I'd, you know, be kind of the global general manager, but I was really spending the bulk of my time on marketing, which I, I really like. You know, I really like developing go-to-market plans and doing collaborations. And with Ruka, we just had so many just cool opportunities to do collaborations with guys like Maddie Matheson or just, you know, all Pat's relationships, but, yeah. you know, show your old geese. And mm-hmm. that was really cool being able to go back and spend the bulk of my time on marketing. So anyway, yeah. I mean, you got to hand it to Pat Ruka and that whole team. You, they've just been so innovative and like creative and relevant in so many different genres mm-hmm. well that was you pat's know? i remember from the early days pat's like i don't want to just be it's an true. action sports brand you know like he thought bigger than action sports the whole time yeah i want to be cool i, I don't want to put out i want to put out the best product in our marketplace without being too expensive like everything had to you know have to pass you know hey we'll pay extra for the thicker thread we'll put you know extra sewn on the butt you know like yeah. a lot of subtle details that you don't really see but yeah. he was very Those details are, are super important, yeah. but the, the vehicles of marketing oh, for sets sure. them apart and puts them in the highlight. Like the MMA thing, who would have thought? Yeah, it's weird. Like I, I had some, I mean, I have Ruka stories for days, but one time I was at ASR with, um, we went out to lunch and it was Pat's good friends with Kelly Slater and uh, it was Kelly, BJ Penn, Pat and I. And, um, you know, it's like when it, 
I, I always tried hard, like, not to fan out. Like, Pat's yeah. cool. Like, it's, yeah. that's just a day in the life of Pat. Yeah. But for me, like, I'm like, oh, my God, it's a fucking goat. And this is rad. And there's BJ. But yeah. just try to keep it cool and not fan out on those guys. <laughs> but we were walking down the street. And, like, you know, I kind of a little bit fought Pat originally on the on the MMA stuff. And Pat, you know, I told people, like, Pat is a legit black belt and real, an incredible boxer. I think Pat's dad managed Ken Norton, you know. So You're kidding. No, for real. But... We were walking down San Diego in the ASR heyday. I'm walking down the street with Pat, the goat, and BJ. And who are they? Who do people want to stop and talk to? BJ. It was yeah. unbelievable. Like, unbelievable. We couldn't walk five feet in the BJ Penn heyday without him getting straight up mobbed. And I remember after this experience telling Pat, I'm like, dude, I think you're onto something with the MMA. Like, I, I, yeah. get, yeah. I get it. Yeah. I get it. You know, where at first. I didn't get it, and I thought like, oh man, it's, it's really yeah. niche. Yeah. I don't know how many people are gonna be stoked on it. And then you saw it firsthand, like, dude, these are you know. yeah, this is insane. Like, yeah. th- there was nothing like in my career like more fun than going to Vegas in the BJ Penn heyday, like for a fight. Was like, it, you can't even believe like yeah. the madness of that stuff. It was really really cool. Well, it's it's like another thing that makes. Ruka so authentic, yeah. In in um, you know, because it's like so many people, surfers and train whatever. Yeah, they train. I mean, because of MMA is why you have a division called Ruka Sport. Yeah, right. Like that's why you guys have Ruka Sport because of fucking yeah. MMA. I mean, Pat, Pat, and all of his buddies are like, well, we don't want to go train in you know Under Armour or Nike or Everlast or any of this other stuff like we just make it ourselves and then it just blew up yeah people ask me like a lot like my wife when I took the quick silver gig she's like oh my god Ruka's so cool you know you're making that jump and there's a lot of reasons why I did sometimes when the owner of the company asks you to do something you you can't say no yeah Yeah. so um, but you know the big difference I tell people is like Quicksilver is incredible and I love the brand and I love the people um Quicksilver is really singularly focused on surf, you yeah. know. Ruka, I'd say, it just, it, in in all the relations to the pack, and the aperture is so much wider where you can do MMA and you can do art and you can do surf and skate where, you know, it, to me it's a little more challenging doing some, something that's focused on, you know, one yeah. sport. Even though that's, you know, the sport I, I'm most passionate about and love, you know, it, it's... Sometimes it might be harder to do like a music collab because people, the musician, if he doesn't surf, it's a, there's not an authentic tie yeah. where Rook had a lot more authentic ties to different things. If that, makes but it was sense. all stuff Pat was in it. It is just see like, oh, there's money to be made in this. It was kind of more of that like yeah. authentic, like, hey, my buddies or, are artists. Organic, I want to help promote them. Yeah, organic relationship oh. that turns into a collaboration. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, which makes it even more. Yeah, I mean, look at, like you brought up, you know, Maddie Mathewson. It's like, you know, I didn't really know. I'm not a foodie. I am a foodie, but I don't follow like yeah. that stuff on social media, really. And we're like, oh, we're doing this collab with this guy, you know, he's this like YouTube sensation. And I watched it. And I'm like, holy crap, this guy's like wild and funny and, you know, like just bigger than life. And I'm like, yeah, he just screamed, you know, like he's a good fit. Yeah. You know? Um, but, but it's it's stuff like that where you know Pat Pat's like oh let's not let's go find some chefs it was like you know yeah yeah so so you're at Ruka for the, ne- the second round um, things are going well you're loving it 
and Quicksilver comes knocking. Yeah, the CEO of Board Riders said, "Hey, we're gonna we're we're gonna uh, bring Quicksilver back from the south of France to Huntington Beach, and you know, talk to me about that opportunity. Talk to Pat about the opportunity, and you know, I ended up making the move from Ruka to Quick." And day one on the job, I had to fly to France and start unraveling the infrastructure in St. John de Luz, France, to move it back to Huntington, which was hard. I mean, it's the social system in France and kind of. So to me, like the learning opportunity of it was great. And you either fly into California or fired. You either fly to California or fired. <laughs> it's, in France, it's different. Like, you know, it might not be all that bad if you get let go because. You're going to get a year severance? A, about three. About three. three. Yeah. What? So almost three. Yeah. You get 18 months from the company regulated by the government. Then you get another year from the from the uh, government. Then on top of that, they'll pay for vocational training and all kinds of stuff. So you think, think if you're like oh, your situation, Jay, if someone says, hey, Jay, yeah. we're going to let you go. But you're going to get paid for three years and go surf with your kid. Do that. Like. It's kind of not the worst thing in the world, you know, for, for if you're in France. We're here for us. Can you fire me? Oh, wait, you're not my boss. <laughs> for here, it's catastrophic. Yeah, you know, no, guy loses sure. your job. You're like, wait, I need two weeks and I have a mortgage. And so it's a different situation there. So, you know, we, we basically moved everything to Huntington Beach. And um, that was kind of the first six months of the job. And, you know, Quicksilver is incredible. Like, it's, you know, I think all the time of like the, um, the heritage of the brand yeah, and for sure the guys I get to talk to on a daily basis and you know hanging out with Bob McKnight and just hearing stories or Mickey Nielsen it's like a lot of times I just I, I just think like man how how on earth am I even in this position where you know I get to work with these people and deal with this stuff it's just you know it's it's awesome you know but for those that aren't you know like that don't do a lot of traveling that aren't in a lot of these other countries it is like you know, Quicksilver in Europe, Quicksilver in in France, you know, in particular. It's yeah. like, you can't, like, go a day without seeing that logo, like, everywhere. It's like, global. It's, it is, but, you know, here, you, you know, if you're on the coast or whatever, like, there, it's a, it's like a real lifestyle brand, you know? Like, it's pretty... No, I have... I, it, you're right. And the fact that Quicksilver's been in the south of France for eight years, yeah. they've over-indexed their marketing efforts and everything there. Yeah. So Quicksilver in France is a big, big, big deal still. Yeah. Like, you know, I I spent a ton of time in France and, um, you know, I was at this restaurant this one night and, like, the waitress started, you know, like, hey, you're here a lot. Like, yeah, I'm living in a hotel, so you go out to eat. What are you going to do? She says, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I work for, you know, Quicksilver, so what do you do there? And I'm like, oh, like, you know, the what you'd call the global general manager, like the president. And she's just laugh, like starts laughing at me. Like, ah! and then like tells her friend, like, oh, this guy just told me he like runs Quicksilver, you know? <laughs> They're literally like laughing, like laughing at me. And like for the next like two weeks of being there, like every time I'd walk by, you know, this little it's the it's a really cool part of the world. But every time you'd walk by, she'd just like laugh and be like, blah, 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 blah. like this guy says he's this quicksilver guy, like he's full of shit. You know, yeah. this Americano <laughs> totally. thinks he's like, you know, yeah. trying to get lucky over here. But no, it's I mean it's yeah, it's a it's a very, very different regarded yeah. brand there. And yeah. With Pierre Agnes, who, you know, was the president right, of Quicksilver for yeah, for a, a long time there. He's yeah. he's a very regarded guy and, and yeah. so, you know, I, I I look at the position like, man, I'm, you know, I, I'm like, 
in I, I, I feel a responsibility to do right by the brand because yeah. of guys like Pierre and Bob and just you know the even like guys like you know, like Danny Kwok and just the legacy yeah. of it. It's like, I feel like having the keys to it's a big deal. Well, and there's a lot I can't control, yeah. you know, but the but, things I can, I'll try my best. But, yeah. you know, like regardless of where they're at in their their space now, like you said, the heritage, how long they've been away, how they paved the way for so many brands to follow. And, you know, it's, I mean, there's, you know, in our industry, like we all talk about it. We all work for different brands, but we all want, we all want everybody to succeed. You always yeah. want the best for, you can't have just one brand. No, but you know, like there's not a brand out there in our industries that we don't know people that work at, you yeah. know? And we're like, dude, we, you know, we hope those people make the best decisions. You hope it stays afloat. You hope yeah, it goes for sure. right, yeah. you know? But, you know, Quicksilver is fucking Quicksilver. Yeah. You know, like it's massive. Since 1977? Well, Quicksilver yeah. USA. Or yeah. 76, 77. 69, founded like in Australia. And then I wrote from for almost 10 years. And my whole childhood, I mean, I have that Quicksilver logo. This guy always brings you know? up about himself. Like, yeah. I mean, there's, <laughs> I have a lot more deeper ties to it than like some because, yeah, I was part of the, the brand. Yeah, we know, Lar. Yeah. You, you bring that up quite a bit. Oh, really? <laughs> I remember it. Who are you sponsored by, bro? Well, Mango. <laughs> you have to pay for your stuff? No. Yeah. Wholesale? I got it for free. <laughs> For a second, but I mean, so quick, you know, Quicksilver. Now you're running the helm. You know, you know, people know. You know, not not a lot of people outside our industry knows it's owned by, you know, private equity. Yeah, you know, we're owned. You know, by the same corporate company, Ruka, Quicksilver, Billabong, Element, DC. Yep. I don't know who else. Roxy. Roxy. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, what? Like you know, without talking details, like what's what's going on? I think now? the thing that you know what private equity does is they buy companies and find ways to make them more profitable and sell it. So you know, when's that going to happen? I don't know. There's yeah. all kinds of rumors out there, and I tell everyone like, hey, all of us, including myself, signed up to work for private equity, so we know what the outcome ultimately will be for sure and i you know i pray like because for everyone at all the brands like you said we're all we're all bros and i yeah. I, I want a good outcome for everyone including especially god the, the retailers who you know have supported the industry and the livelihood of so many people like you want a good outcome like i said earlier some things that are out of our all of our control so at some point it sells and then you have to just look and think like okay well now what does it look like i think yeah the thing for Quicksilver I think about is like, man, it's weathered a lot of storms, you know, like, so many, you know, ups and downs and bankruptcy and pulling it to France and now pulling it back. Like, I'll say this, man, it's a resilient brand. And like, there's people, there's a lot of new people I've recently brought in. And then there's a lot of people like, you know, my creative director, Nat, Nat Johnson, he's been with the brand for 17 years. He's an incredible guy. And, you know, I always talk to him, I'm like, hey, what's, what's your plan? And he's like, Quicksilver till the wheels fall off. He's like, I've been through so many things. And yeah. Like, but everyone, like, in this whole industry and being part of Board Riders, like, the one thing, you know, I'll say is, like, people love the brands. Like, the people yeah. that work within those brands truly, like, love the brands and they're resilient. They've been through a lot of ups and downs. And private equity is tough. Like, I've done it now three times in my career. When I sold my hel my helmet company to Bell, private equity owned. Igloo, private equity owned. Uh, board Riders, private equity owned. So, it, you know, they... they 
private equity guys have a thesis and their thesis is buy it and sell it. So that's just part part of what we're dealing with right now. So well, as long as the marketing's there and the product's good and I mean, you know, again, like I wish, you know, we had that that era right now where you had a a Kelly and Iron, you know, a Kelly and Andy Irons rivalry with the brands and the logos or, you know, like a Machado and the Kelly and the you know or yeah. you know, hey, so you guys be you, you want you want like marketing to, to rival as much as the companies as totally. design you know in all categories and aspects of the business you need that across like a few different you know to keep brands. it interesting to keep it interesting for sure drive marketing and, and newness and, yeah. and edginess and you know it's kind of like have a well, little bit of glow and a little accolade and checks of the other day when when uh we first talked and you were saying that one of the first things you wanted to do was bring somebody onto Quicksilver, right? Yeah. Griffin Colapinto? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, it. you know, um, I thought one of the things with Quicksilver, and some people might look at or hear this and th- think like, well, that's, that's messed up. Or people might look and think like, oh, that is right. But I think, I think changes had to be made. And like, obvious overt changes in the way you do things like at igloo like i had that idea of all let's change the fucking logo and people were like what like i'm all we have to make it noticeable that we're here to make changes and things and quicksilver's got a lot of legacy and a lot of heritage but there's a lot of incestuous things with team writers and stuff that people look and think ah they'll never change that they'll never change they're never going to get rid of this guy or change that guy so I wanted to kind of shake the tree and, and be disruptive and get someone that would be like, that guy would never go to Quick or that guy, you know. And, you know, I talked to Blair and Blair and I are good friends and he will kill me even saying Come on the name. show, Blair Marlin. Yeah, Blair. He'll, he wouldn't <laughs> even like that I'm putting his name out there. But, um, you know, that was my first call. Before I, before I officially accepted the job, I called Blair and I'm like, you know, how do I get Griff? And he laughed at me and he goes, Griff will not come to quick because, you know, it, the Bill Wong and Shannon North, he's all, I don't know if that ever happened. And then, um, you know, there we there was a path to make it happen because his contract was up. And um, really, it's out there and Stab talked about it and stuff. But Quicksilver in recent history has not had a problem with athletes wearing Monster or Red, particularly Red Bull hats. Yeah. Bill Wong philosophically has not allowed their writers to do that. Billabong, you have Italo, who runs a rail sticker, but he's on a podium wearing a Billabong hat. So, you know, my thought on that is I inherited that. Like, Kanoa and, you know, Kali and plenty of guys were already on Red Bull before I took the gig. Yeah. But my personal take on it, it no matter what people think about energy, energy drinks, good or bad, whatever, my thought is like, man, you're not in this forever. And if a, if a kid has an opportunity... To go get a six-figure check from wearing a hat, yeah. I'm gonna let that kid do that For because. Sure. And I, honestly, like Red Bull does a lot of marketing that helps totally other brands, other brands, and just helps our industry. For sure, they're stay big. in 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 people's yeah. you know eyeballs. Yeah. You know, yeah. like you don't you don't want to blackball a brand that puts in so much into every. I can't action believe. sport thriller activity on the planet. I can't believe that new WSL rule. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it's kind of like watches. Yeah, and 
What the heck? And eyewear and hats. And, and we don't really bash anybody on the show. Like, you know, I, I love that the WSL is there and they're trying their best to create great content. Yeah. But to to throw something like that into the whole thing, you're like, well, what's next? You can't have logos on your boards and you look at some of these guys and I, I'm, you know, coming from, you know, being a professional. Yeah, you want to be able to like make as much as you want. And I look at Italo and I look at Gabriel and I look at some of these guys you know, or whoever. It's like Audi or Ford or this and they got, you know, watches and they got, you know, sunglasses and drinks. And, you know, it's like, fuck, yeah, yeah go for it. Yeah. And, and all those companies are marketing him. Yeah. Telecommunications. This is well, NASCAR. Think of when uh, I talked about BJ Penn earlier, like. In the heyday, I think, of the UFC of Matt Hughes and BJ and that whole era, GSP. You know, think of those guys walking out and they're wearing a Ruka shirt walking out. Yeah. Ruka shorts. Throw a banner over the ring. Ruka. Like, it drove so much sales and yeah. hype and awareness for the brands. Fast forward today, they have a deal with an apparel company and you yeah. have to... And That's that, it. That ultimately hurts the athlete because if you're... Uh, you know, if you're a apparel brand, you're not going to pay unless the guy gets to walk yeah. out. And, that, and that's a great point because going back to like how, you know, it does, it takes more than one brand, you know, to be successful, yeah. to, to elevate that group is, you know, at one point I probably had 12, 15, like MMA stores. Like it was that, that yeah. was what they carried. It was a cross. And there was, you know, 15, 20 brands who were fighter owned brands you know, from couture to uh, uh, tap out to uh, punishment, you know, like all these brands were able to sell apparel and, 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 and tees, athlete tees and stuff and, and other gear. And it was like, that was a great little and, and business. Going back to this whole WSL fucking stupid Anyways, whatever. All that's gone. He or that. Okay. What about other podiums in other sports? Right? Yeah. Like... In tennis or Indy 500 or uh, bowling or fucking, you know what I mean? Like those podiums, they're promoting their sponsors. Yeah. yeah. You know, like what makes the WSL think that they can be different as a sport, right? Yeah. Like it's it's really like... No, it's tough. Like the thing I, I think about is like even boards. Like if you read that thing too, you can't like... Kanoa is so good at it. Like Kanoa gets on that podium with a Red Bull hat, yeah. side quick silver logo, but he very intentionally holds the board so yeah, you see that mountain in. wave. Yeah. You know, which we appreciate. That's great. Yeah. You know, take your Red Bull money. That's fantastic. But yeah, you know, and because think of the jersey too of the event. It's usually someone else. Like, well, I bet that the guys are getting carried up out of the water from their for their fellow you know countrymen or, or yeah. best buddies. Yeah. And the first thing they do is somebody grabs the board, somebody throws them a hat. Maybe it's a team yeah. manager or whatever, glasses, hat, and they're getting carried up. I hate up. to make this about you again, but there's like I was, a famous picture. I was there. Kelly winning pipe and Larson's got his Oakley fucking sunglasses on carrying the board behind as, as Kelly gets charted up the beach. Yeah. Chaired up the beach. That's it. I was there. It's in, it's in a lot of books and man, it's in print. Well, we'll Can I get photo incentive for that? I'm going to retro. We'll see as the industry changes. Like it, it costs a lot to be a title sponsor of a WSL event. A lot. Yeah, it's a, a lot. seven figure check. So you think as the industry changes, what does that look like? Do endemic sponsors still come in and do that? Does it yeah. totally like I, I would, if I'm going to guess, I think that 
looks a whole lot different two years, three years from now than it does today. You know, yeah. so in that, I think probably there there's something maybe we don't know as to why they're making some of those changes yeah. because it could look more like the UFC in the future. Which is then why do you why are you going to pay a you know top ten guy that kind of money if he can't run your stuff on the podium? You yeah, know? there could be some some you know other angles where they've really dug into other sports and stuff and it, yeah. could, it could make sense because if you get one of those other title sponsors and everybody makes more money then great but it's got to be down to the athletes you can't just have it all go to corporate and not to trickle down to the athletes yeah the thing to just back to griff and um like i you know taking the gig like pitching my my you know philosophy to the board about when quicksilver was at its best was a good combination of performance and personalities, you know, and you think it's kind of always had that yin and yang of a, of a performance and a personality that it's, if you guys, you guys would know better than me, but I look at like the last 30 years and it's, it's kind of rare for a guy to just tick both boxes and have that awesome charismatic, you know, put yourself out there personality, but then also be a guy that could be top five. And to me, Griff, Griff Cole Pinto's that one guy, yeah. And not only is not only that, but geography having a having a guy that is as good as Griff, as Local. charismatic, as you know, um, entertaining as him, living in San Clemente. It's like, in think of our history, like how many how many times has there been a, a guy from SoCal that could really be a title contender, but then also has that personality where yeah, he's going to really influence a generation of kids, you know? So to me, he, he, for me was like, uh, my end all be all. And just like, man, if I could get one guy to really take Quicksilver team to the next level, it was, it was Griff. Yeah. You know? Well, I think as a, as a company looking at how to sponsor different personalities and different people for different areas, you know, got to have the cool, you know, cool guy, whether it's retro or longboard, you know, and then you got to have the hardcore surfer, which could be the, uh, what's uh, Mikey Wright, you know, yeah. just mohawks and, you know, and, you, you know, you got to have all these different uh, personalities, but, you know, uh, the YouTuber vlogger guy, yeah, not just him, but that kind of avenue as a uh, as a revenue stream and a personality, that that's big business, yeah. oh, for sure. you know, and, and cool. the guy's... And the guys that are just contest driven only, which focus, hey, I'm I'm focused on world titles and don't don't bother me and I don't have time, you know. You know, there's those guys, you know. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, like you said, I think Griffin has, you know, a good combo of personality and him and his brother. His brother fucking rips so hard too, and they have. It'd be interesting to watch Crosby over the next few years too. I think he's a special kid too. but they had us have a, a great I gotta, angle for I sure. I gotta hear the interview or the the process of you getting those meetings with Quicksilver. What? Like, well, him getting the job. Like, uh, how? Yeah. How many times I, did you get interviewed, or was I it mean, like, it was an initial conversation with the CEO. It's, it was crazy. Like Pat, myself, and the CEO were out to dinner. And the CEO just kind of floated it out there, and um, as you guys are, yeah, and then and then you know, uh, Pat wasn't wild about the idea. Pat and I <laughs> talked a bunch, you know, and um, and that guy just threw it out there at dinner. Well, like, hey, what do you think? Uh, he, Pat's like, cool, you're stealing one of my guys, and you're you know throwing us under 
I, the bus again. <laughs> yeah, I think Pal wasn't like I said. He was not wild about the idea, and you know, then from there, I had several conversations with the CEO, and at the time, the guy that was a CMO, Shannon North, who's a historically a Billabong guy. So you know, it was a it was definitely a process, but they they knew my track record because I'd worked for them for a couple of years, and you know, so I think they gave me a shot because they saw that that I was doing good things at Ruka. I think they really liked the marketing strategy and go to market of Ruka Ruka had and thought that could be good. And then just my work ethic, you know, like taking the job, they said, "Hey, are you willing to spend fifty percent of your time in France?" And I said, "Yes," you know. The, said yes before I talked to my wife about it. But, you know, I I spent a ton of time this year in France and got to take the family over there, which was actually really an incredible experience for little kids to go and surf in France and understand the culture there and stuff. So, you know, it's been good. Like, it for me, it's like I, I love, love, love the brand. You know, I love all these brands, really. Yeah. Growing up and just being a, the way I grew up and being – a C minus level chubby surfer, but loving the sport and everything that to be working with these brands is like a dream come true. You know, the private equity part sometimes is really challenging, you know, and out of my control, but I, I think the brands are so special. And I, you know, I, I, I love what, what I do on a day to day, particularly like working with the artists and athletes and guys like Griff is just cool. Like it's just a, a really cool um, thing to do. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And I think when you're passionate, you know, like, like us, you know, we're passionate about the industry and this is why we have the podcast. It's just not to blow smoke up our butts, even though we're pretty cool. Just kidding. Lyndon says that all the time. But uh, no, it's, I think you guys are cool. It, it's just about like celebrating like the sport and the industry. And, and like we said, we always say, we, you know, we want the industry to be healthy. We want all the surf shops and, and businesses to be healthy. And, and we're fans of pretty much everybody, you know, all the brands, yeah. you know. And, and that's truly like sincere on our end. Like, dude, we want... You know, quick serve is a competitor, you know, Billabong, you know, against everybody's a competitor, but that's healthy and that's good. And it helps drive like, you know, people to push the envelope and it gets some rivalry going. And at the, at the end of the day, it creates like, you know, more uh, creative content and, and puts a little pressure on, on brands oh, sure. to perform better and better design. And I mean, that's, you know, we need excitement in this industry. Yeah. Yeah. So off the record, what else well, are you working on? <laughs> but like I said, he's always got ideas cooking. And I, I, I remember one that a few years ago, he was at Ruka and he shared, I'm not going to bring it up, but um, Dude. you're working on, no, it could not be something if he brings it up, it's cool. But it was something in the, I'm not going to bring it up. Something you would, you would kind of um, <laughs> throw. Oh, that, that I actually did. Frisbee? No, yeah, we made a football, and you'd have, I don't know. It's it was Did not it. everything I've done has been a hit. But, that, uh, so that wasn't a hit. No, but I, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time on it, and I've been busy with my day job. Can we get a sample? Yeah, I could. I could definitely get you guys some samples. Lennon, uh, you'll like it. It's fucking awesome. Uh, <laughs> there was a. I won't talk too much. There's a Me Too movement out there that kind of slowed slowed that. Oh. Football, so we're not going to talk. Too much about what the football may may or may not have looked like, or yeah. whatever. But anyway, uh. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like I, I struggle. Like you know, the Pat asked me when Pat asked me to come back. Like you know, I I said I struggle with do I want to be an entrepreneur or do I want to work for a big corporate private equity company? Mm. And the guys that I admire and look up to, like I said, you know, the founders I talked about earlier, like. Those guys are my idols or yeah. my heroes. Like the idea of being an entrepreneur again and having 
a company with eight to 15 people, like I know I've got one more in me. I'm enjoying what I'm doing today, but I definitely, you know, think I'd be remiss if I didn't try to do it one more time. And, you know, to a fault, I'm a guy that wakes up with 10 crazy ideas and, you know, luckily, like you said earlier, it's guys that either execute them or don't. Luckily, I've had the burn in me to go execute a couple of them. So yeah. we're gonna start hanging out with uh, what do we call them? Brids. 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 <laughs> yeah, there was a guy, a Huntington guy called Cernicky of Death. I don't know if you remember this guy, but no, used to Cernicky Cernicky of, of, of Death, and so. Little Brett Schwartz used to call me Briz of Death. I don't know why. <laughs> so the Briz thing stuck a little bit. But anyway. That's funny. But yeah. Yeah. So you're 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 at Quicksilver. Maybe we'll see some some, some new ideas come. Something, who knows? You know? But yeah, I mean again, we're you know, we talk about this all the time, like the you know, the economy in general is kinda of in a funky place, you know. I think our industry is actually pretty healthy for the most part, you know, outside of the the drama with this private equity and, you know, changes in WSL, whether it's good or bad, you know, like it's kind of like you never know if changes are going to be positive. What I mean by that is the mid-year, you know, like there's a mid-year cut. There's just a lot of like, you know, new, you know, newness going on. There's quite a few brands, you know, coming up the pipe, Rivia Projects and, you know, you got Former, you got, you know, you got... A lot of surfer-owned brands coming up. You got the old guards kind of, you know, it's just a weird, you know, time in surf. I yeah, think, I right love now. the rider-owned brands. I think that it's cool. And if those yep. guys surround themselves with a, a business dude, <laughs> they could be in a good spot. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, for me, like, cool events and cool projects. Like, we just did a thing at Quicksilver. Um the Saturn tour where we went back and just said, Hey, let's, let's go. You know, uh, Griff said something to me when we were going through the process and he goes, me and my friend are core Lords. Like we're all about the core, you know? And I love that. I'm just like, yeah, man, like that's awesome. You know? So we did this Saturn thing where it's like, you know, our take on like early 2000s stuff, but you're seeing that you're seeing kids like asking us now for like, dude, you guys have a 20 inch board short. And like, like, wow, that's, you know, so we did this movie with, you know, a cast of characters that you look at, like our roster, and you probably wanted to have said, "Well, these are the those three guys." Dudes. Fucking ripped, yeah, man. The Kale Walsh is like all three of those guys. Rollo, was it Alan Cleland? Al Cleland Jr., Kale Walsh, and a Rolo, and they're all just Ro- that Rolo guy is. Is he? Where is he from? He's Latin America, but he's the he's incredible. And so he's gnarly. Yeah, absolutely. Insane. That movie, like his octopus is, part is like, yeah, should get clip of the year i think but you know anyway like people probably wouldn't have said like oh you're gonna put out a movie and that's the three dudes but i like the idea of like having this platform yeah. for those guys that like and you always think like you know someone like dan well how much of that you know how much did these brands help guys like that become who they were or you know i think arguably a lot, a lot. <laughs> you know? like for i think sure. so i like the idea of giving giving um those athletes a, a platform to really kind of get eyes on them and mm-hmm. then support the core. Well, that like is we re- toured that movie around yeah. and all to every core store in Australia. And- well, that is a, a, like a refreshing take on an old school kind of mentality of how things used to be done. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, you know, you look at the marketing pyramid and of course you got your, 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 you know, 
your marquee, you know, yep. world paid, you know, world collaborated athlete. And then you have your national or, or, you know, guys aspiring, but it always went down like where, you know, Quicksilver and Billabong and O'Neill, all the kind of like heritage brands have always done a good job, you know, yeah. supporting like those lower tiers and giving those kids, you know, ample, like, you know, uh, you know, promotions, whether it's, you know, locally, you know, a movie, Something just popped in my head the first time that uh, I saw your your uh, coolers. It was on the beach. At, yeah. Was it a board riders club? Yeah. Yeah, it was. I just put them down the there burgers. for the kids to grab them. Was it? Yeah, I was like, I was like, what the heck is that? I'm like, holy shit. I'm more. I'm. I, and so. there, there was like, uh, was Fourth of July like? I think around the corner or yeah just that, happened i just that, thought it'd be i at the time you know i asked casey and zig i'm like hey can i just give like every kid that comes down here a cooler they're like yeah that'd be rad so it was pretty fucking cool i yeah. i'm more t- and maybe like it's funny like i run quicksilver and you know i just talked about how excited i am about griff cole pinto like i you know back like robbie kegel and al nose and that you know like Asher Pacey is one of my favorite surfers. Like yeah. that's really my cup of tea. Like yeah. I, that, I love the non-competition side of surfing a lot. Just free surfing, really. That's my cup of tea and what I did. Me too. Um, but uh, if I was going to say one thing, like that, I'm really jazzed on is like West Coast board riders is awesome. Dude, like yeah. in this app, like the the community aspect of it and what Ziggy and you know Moreno and Casey started and how strong it's going like I'm so like proud of those guys and anyway yeah, sure. I could support or be involved I'm trying to um, through Quicksilver or you know personally yeah but um I heard I, Quicksilver is we've got a real sponsor yeah. now right yeah HB main sponsor right? for HB and then you know we did the week cup last year and I'm trying to get more more involved in it or get the brand more involved in it but I absolutely love what those guys are yeah. doing. And for me, like, I'd almost rather go watch one of those events than yeah. I would a WSL event, really. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's, I mean, that's a great point, too, because, I, I, I mean, from our working relationship, not just our friend, but, like, you have always, like, I mean, I've had a, a dozen, maybe not a dozen, but quite a few presidents, you know, at Ruka or higher-ups. and Well, you've been there for 20-something years. For sure, I know, but, like, <laughs> the... Uh, but, you know, Brad, Brad, you know, and again, like, we have a it's, personal relationship outside of Ruka, but it was like, hey, let's, like, let's go talk to this shop, or let's go talk to that shop. Hey, let's go talk to Huntington Beach High School and Verdone and see if we could get... And it's whatever brand he's working for that he's going to obviously, you know, mm-hmm. try to get after, but Brad was always good about, like, community how do we get in with the surf team how do we get in with the local event how do we get in with this and i think that's genuine and i think it's smart and it's not like you know something that should be overlooked like oh we got the kelly slayer of the world or you know you know whatever we're good you know it's like it takes a lot more layers to kind of infiltrate like areas i I would say i i'm proud that i did that pass i haven't been as good at that at quicksilver part of because i spent yeah more than 50 percent of my time doing that in france so you know, like there's a lot of guys like Duke. I just owe a, a high five and stop by, and yeah. those guys have been through a lot. Of, you know, a lot Make of. Sure he washes his hands though. <laughs> you probably yeah. They'll bring hand sanitizer, but just you know the yeah. the industry and friends and family and all sales and all kinds of stuff that had a big impact on the retailers, which is tough. And I, you know, really for tough. me, for me that's it's it's it unfortunate. Sucks. You know, yeah. but um, yeah, I think I think, but it's again, it just goes down to what's what 
you know, the way you think about business. And again, like, you know, you're at Ruka, you're at QuickServe now, who knows where you'll be in a year or five or 10. And it's, you know, staying like, look, I'm committed to, you know, partnering and growing the business with, you know, with wherever I'm at, you know, but it's the smaller tier stuff that is equally as important as the Griffin Colapintos. You know what I mean? Like you got to have that, got to have that disruption up, 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 you know, upstairs, but you also got to make sure you're, you're supporting like the smaller kind of out of the spotlight type stuff. And it used to be really locally think globally. I like that. Yeah. It's, it's an old saying. Yeah. But again, it's, you know, the shop flow kids, you know, to the, you know, like, you know, how, how do you become a rep? Well, you get a job in the surf industry, you know, at the surf shop and start networking and seeing who comes in and trying to work your way up, you know, like if you could flow a kid at the shop, like we, there's a couple that, you know, we're seeing aspiring pros and they're working at the shop. Taj Miller's now at, du- at Surfside and under Duke's wing. And, you know, it's kind of cool to see like these kids work at the surf shops, you know? Yeah. I, mean, I had this experience when I was a kid and, you know, it's fast forward. I ended up doing a lot with them lately, but um, another interesting entrepreneurial guy from Huntington Beach was this bike guy, Gary Turner. And GT. Gary, yeah. And, I used to ride my bike up there and go through the dumpster. And the guy caught me going through his dumpster. And he goes, let me walk you around and show you the factory. And it was really had a big impact on just me understanding like business and like, oh, wow, they actually print these stickers and put them on the frame and they're making it like, so I always remember that later on. I called the guy and took him out to lunch and thanked him and we did some stuff. But I try because that had such a big impact on me. I try to do that a lot with kids here. Like, the um, Castle Boys, those yeah. kids rip, you know, right, yeah. I talk to their dad and I'm all, you know, hey, just bring them in and let, let, it, let me give them a tour of board riders to show them because, you know, maybe one of those kids won't make it there. They're really, really, really good. Yeah. But you think of so many kids don't and you think like, well, maybe that kid will remember that down the road of like, oh, that Brad dude showed me around and there's all kinds of cool people working here and there's jobs in this industry. And, you know, I I, want to show kids that too. Like I have a, I won't say his name and embarrass him. I have a really, really good friend whose son is, and he'll know I'm talking about now because he listens to the podcast all the time. But his (laughs) son, his son is a good kid first and foremost, which matters a lot. And he keeps a kid in school, which Kids should go to school. <laughs> like, Definitely go to go to your school dance and get all that experience. Jay went to school, you know, like Jeff Def went to school. Yeah. So these parents that pull their kids even out of Slater school, went to school, and yeah, it's like parents that pull their kids out of school and don't have any kind of like you know opportunity to go walk in and see all these jobs that the industry provides and stuff. It's to me, it's just it's almost kind of sad. So my buddy, I'm always telling him like, hey. Your kid is such a good kid, and he might. He, the reality is, he's probably not going to make it. You yeah, know, he's probably not. But but he's going to make it in something. I'm like, yeah. look, I, I run Quicksilver, and I was an average surfer. I'm not, but I'm really happy, and I get to go. You know, sign kids like Griff Cole Pinto. Like that's a big deal. You know, so yeah. there could be a way to, you know, be in this industry in some shape or form your whole life if you you know play your cards right. But definitely. Anyway. The amount of parents that I talk to that have the delusions of their kids, you know, like I literally talk to families that move to San Clemente so their kid could surf trussels every day and not go to school. And I'm, they're calling and, and saying like, wait, 
Your 14-year-old kid doesn't have an apparel sponsor yet, and you're moving to San Clemente to surf lords every day because you think he's going to make the tour? Like, you're out of your mind, you know? It's like, it. I, I feel so sad for those so kids crazy. and what they're missing out on in life, thinking that yeah, that every single thing depends on whether or not they're going to make the tour or not, yeah. you know? Yeah, and, and again, that's any sport, and, you know, the intentions of the parents is, you know, you want, you know... You want to live vicariously. You want them to have better, like you know, totally life than what you had. But if the kid, if you you can't instill that drive, that 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 mindset, you could help support, but you can't like you can't turn on a switch because you've put all that time and energy into them to make them want to do something that you want. Ultimately, you know, and it's tough. I mean, I'm in that spot. I got a 14 year old son, and you know, I'm like, you know. I was so fortunate surfing and I'd love to have him go travel and, and li- live some of those like years I got to. But at the same time, I'm like, you know what? Like knowing the business side, I'm like, man, if you just went to school and got a good you know, education, you could go do whatever and travel the world and go surf your own boat trip anytime. You know, like it's just different times now for sure. Yeah. I think it's a lot harder to make it. But I again, the kid wants to go surf every morning. I'm driving. Kid yeah, wants me to video. Yeah. I'm on the beach videoing. A lot more than I should. Yeah. <laughs> but dude. yeah, I mean, but yeah, we're, 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 dude, yeah, we're stoked that you sat down and, and kind of gave us your, your side of is there your any, story. Is there any, um, well, when you do surf, <laughs> when you do surf, what, what boards do you have now? A blanket, blanket ship? ship, bro? Come no, on. I, you know, I, I'm riding a lot of mid lengths and, um, fucking hipster. No, not from a, <laughs> not <Fucking> canoes. <laughs> not from a gato. <laughs> no, not from a hipster standpoint because I'm I'm overweight and uh, have lots of injuries standpoint. So yeah, I just I you know should I said a fun board that makes me That's sound le- less hipster. Fun board. You know? Something goes really less fast. Hipster. Easy to surf and goes really fast. That's all. My shortboard. I I have a forty two liter. Uh, six six loss that you know if the waves are really good and yeah. I get inspired I might pull that thing out but now usually on a day to day I'm riding like seven six to seven ten boards with a lot of volume that I could catch waves whatever and, gets and, you out there and push my son in you know my son surfs but you know I I've always thought I'm not going to be the dad that forces it. so if he like you said yeah. Jay if he's yeah. asking me to go I take him no matter yeah. what if he you know, if he wants to, you know, go to Blackies or surf somewhere special or whatever, like yeah. I'll take him. But I, I don't want to be the dad that's like, you gotta get up and surf. You know, if he wants to, I, I support it. Yeah, so. yeah, and, and you know, again, it's it's really cool to be able to be really good in one sport, but it's also cool to be, you know, well rounded and and be experienced in a lot of other things. And yeah. I think, you know, even though I was lucky to go surf, I did a lot of other things. I wasn't just like die hard you know 100 percent every day most of the time it did you know i mostly like remember you surfing driving the square back and hanging out with girls yeah <laughs> yes yes and yes <laughs> mostly right yeah that's it yeah a lot of a lot of that square back was badass man i wish i kept that thing what back. was the license plate on that hb surfing that's right yeah that's right. yeah i actually knew but i just wanted you to tell the yeah hb surfing yeah that was a hand-me-down it was epic uh i couldn't go very far I could get to lowers, but if I wanted to go hit Oceanside, it would usually overheat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you don't need so to go much <laughs> more south than lowers. You're okay. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, shit. I don't know. Do we have anything else? Anything you, you want to 
any words of last advice or no i mean you guys do this enough did, did it come across okay is there anything that i should have said that i didn't oh no, dude you dropped some freaking amazing knowledge cool knowledge and experience and yeah i mean i mean ultimately people are fascinated on, on people's journey especially in our industry that are you know kind of privy of what goes on but even people that are out outside and just like I think our culture and our lifestyle is so intriguing and it's like, yeah, how lucky are we to make money on something that we're freaking passionate about and stoked on, you know? It's yeah. not like going to hit numbers or going and, you know, doing this. It's the, it's like we're around cool shit all the time. The cool, the, the crazy thing about Brad Brid's blanket ship is you have worked for two of the most iconic successful three brands three paul frank is an outlier you know what i mean like four that would be four because i'm looking at ruka looking at quicksilver uh, igloo well paul frank those are those are not <laughs> authentic endemic surf brands ruka yeah, i mean I know, holy crap sure. like ruka is yeah still one of the best brands in the in the, in the industry and yeah. quicksilver is a is a heritage brand and you're helping, you know, like like what you did at Igloo, you know, like kind of made it cool again. You're helping Quicksilver with, you know, the help of other people. You're you're making Quicksilver a viable brand, right? Um, yeah, I hope it was rewarding. Like I said earlier, like you know, I really, in hindsight, like I'm so proud of the Igloo thing because I didn't know it about myself, but. I like fixing things. Like I fixing igloo and, and getting it on the right track was know, really, really re- rewarding. Let's change this. Brad the fixer Brinklin shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the handler. <laughs> the handler. But yeah, I mean, like to to when we talk about it again and the that list of brands and accomplishments with those brands, it's like, fuck, dude. You've done a lot of cool shit. You've yeah. done a lot of big You've worn a lot of hats and executed on a lot of things in brands that we're like, that are, you know, the biggest brands and not just Axis Sports, but also in the household. You know, it's like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, congrats. You know, keep us in <laughs> mind when you're at ground floor of uh, launching a new brand because uh, I have like $4 to invest or I could do a lot of sweat equity. Yeah. Nice. I got sweat equity. I, it's one thing we know how to do is work hard. And, uh, you know, if it's juggling warehouse or, or printing or whatever. And I think, like you guys said earlier, Mike Riley says it well. It's like the cultural connection matters. Like, yeah. out of VPs of sales I've worked with, Mike is great because the salty buyers love Mike. Oh, because yeah. they could just talk the talk with him and relate with the guy. And, like... He's totally authentic and really good at what he does, but I think you know it matters so much in this industry that you that you get endemic guys that know Definitely. know what they're doing, you know, yeah. or could talk the talk. It matters a lot. Yeah, but yeah, I just I same as you guys. Like I just want the industry to be healthy and stable, and you know it's a, it's it's a although we all work our asses off, it's a, it's an amazing lifestyle. You know, and I tell yeah. people every day, like, fuck, you could be selling insurance. Like, yeah. you got, you know, got it pretty good here. You yeah. Know? So. I don't know. I know a couple of fucking really rich insurance. They're, 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 they're out there freaking they're travel surfing, a lot. Yeah. They're actually surfing a lot more than uh, I am right good now. Point. But uh, good point. <laughs> no, but we, we, we get it. 
Um, well, fucking Brad, thank you. Thanks yeah, for thank sharing you your story, man. Yeah. That was awesome. It was amazing. Chat. You. you. The president. Peace. Bonsai Bowls. Hands down the best bowls, period. Seven locations. Two in Hawaii, five in Southern California. Bonsai Bowls. Go get some. Caliente Southwest Grill. Clean, healthy Mexican food. Everything is made fresh daily using produce from local farms. Their salsa, their dressing, and even their marinades are made from fresh produce in-house, so almost all of the menu is naturally gluten-free and extremely clean. Family-owned, showing local love for 22 years. Check out their website, calientesouthwest.com, for all your party pack and catering needs. You could also call them at 949-515-0909, calientesouthwest.com. Ashland Hard Seltzer, made from all natural ingredients. No sugar, zero carbs, gluten-free. Great taste and guilt-free good times. Ashland Hard Seltzer. Shade Sunscreen. The best sunscreen for all surfers. Shade Sunscreen. It's been around since the sun. Shade, Shade. Sunscreen. Clearweather is a family-owned footwear brand started by our friends Josh and Brandon Brubaker. They are driven to create their own path in the corporate sneaker world. Less corporate, more independent. Clearweather. Clearweatherbrand.com. Fuwax is the best, ickiest, stickiest wax in the game. Fuwax. Late Night with Chalky is supported by Inherent Bummer. Surf entertainment, thoughtful writing, surf videos, music, and fresh hell for the core surf community. Remember, it's not the end of the world. Subscribe and check it all out at InherentBummer.com. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams, for our awesome artwork, and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music.